to just stop oil. Politics is failing us. Politics filled women in 1914. If millions will die due to new oil and gas licensing, millions! If we love history, if we love art, and if we love our families, we must just stop oil. This is insanity, by the way, people. Institutionalized insanity. Just stop oil. How dare you? I support jail time for this. <laughs> we're gonna let this. We're gonna let this finish. By the way, notice um, they had special tools to break what I what I presume is protective glass over that. What was it? One hundred and twenty-five million, or was it six hundred and twenty-five million dollar painting? These people belong in jail, and then they can talk about you know reducing that time if they seek the appropriate therapy. But you need to leave the room, please. It is this exhibit is closed. By the way, did you notice those things on the ground? Hey, look, 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 look here. Hold on a second. I, okay, I, I, look, I'm not much of a sleuth, but I googled orange handle hammer. These things are called life hammer. You see that little slit right there? Um, that's for cutting a seatbelt. This hammer is designed to break through windshields so that you can get out of a, um, uh, a car. And um, the handle, uh, you guess where I'm going with this. The handle's made out of polypropylene. What about polyurethane? Not polyurethane, polypropylene. The handle's made out of a derivative of oil. These idiots, because they are idiots, and I will dare say idiots in the clinical sense. I, ooh, who's that? Idiots in the clinical sense, protesting oil by smashing the glass of an oil painting while professing, if you love art, you'll stop oil, while at least it was made in the Netherlands. I mean, they seem to be made in the Netherlands. While using a life hammer, the handle of which is made out of uh, oil-based products. Plastics. Plastics, Jerry, plastics. Oh my goodness, that I made it here only a few seconds late is, um, I mean, that's, that's something of a feat on its own. Uh, for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter and for those of you who are not part of the vivabarnslaw.locals.com community, that's little Winston who just cost me. Oh, get over here. He's a little tired now. Just cost me a cool 300 bucks. I swear to you though, if you get, it's actually 275. If you get in and out of the vet for under 300 bucks, uh, you're in a good, you're in a good, you're having a good day. This dog had the nastiest yeast infection. Oh, you little bastard. Um, the nastiest yeast infection in his ear. I don't know where he got it from and how, um, and I'm not good at um, rubbing his ears out. He doesn't let me touch them and I don't like it. And uh, I can't stand watching them do it. So I had to take him to the vet. They scrubbed his ears out, gave him a, a, a needle in that whatever, and some antibiotics and some antifungal. Oh man! And so just like that, uh, I'm uh, $275 US dollars. That's the, that's another problem. I'm still converting everything into Canadian in my head. 
We love Winston. Yes, we do. We love Winston. Holy crab apples. So we're having our Sunday show on a Monday and uh, sweet, merciful goodness. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't miss a day. We're streaming on a Monday night and the news doesn't stop. Crowder, I'm sure everybody, we'll see what happens with this discussion on YouTube. I, I, I think everybody on the internet knows about it now because Crowder had 170,000 people watching live as he went over three pages of the leaked manifesto of the um, trans shooter in Nashville. The manifesto, which um, has not been disclosed to the public for reasons which might now seem a little bit more obvious. And uh, somehow he got a copy of a few pages. I don't know if he has the whole thing. Uh, this is where we're going right now. Um, he got a, a copy of, uh, of a few of the pages. I don't know how he vets that it's accurate. He's got sources. He apparently uh, did a very thorough due diligence to make sure that it was authentic, legit, what he was reporting on. I mean, I've come to the point now where like, I, I, I don't even trust things when I see them with my own eyes is the level of uh, lacking uh, faith in the accuracy of information online. But he ran with the story. He got the leak. He went over the three pages of the manifesto and um, yeah, everyone's saying it's legit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not denying it. I'm just, I'm, I'm so neurotic that even if I did all, you know, you check, you check the front door five times and then you still worry that it's unlocked when you leave. Um, there, it, it makes sense why they didn't want to release that manifesto. What's, what's amazing is the weaponization of information, the weaponization of the legal system, the justice system, the prosecutorial system, law enforcement. When it's, of a certain demographic, release the manifesto. They release the intentions and call it a hate crime before the investigation is even commenced. In this case, my goodness, uh, they, they, they refused to release the manifesto. Somehow Crowder got it. By the way, somehow Crowder might be in a world of, um, in a world of trouble right now. Let me just see what Post Millennial uh, was just reporting earlier today. Where is it? Post Millennial right here. Um, that, uh, you know, we've seen the weaponization of everything. We've seen how FBI will go after Project Veritas for having been given a diary and accused them of theft. Apparently, though, they were reporting that they were going to um, potentially investigate the leak. And if I'm Crowder, I mean, he's doing the journalism work that journalists are not doing. If I'm Crowder, I, I might be nervous that the full weaponization of they're going to investigate the leak, demand that he reveal his source, you know, threaten to or jail for not releasing the source during the live stream this morning. Crowder was saying, we will protect our sources. We will go to jail for our sources. To which, I don't know who the AG of Tennessee is or Nashville. He says, all right, hold my beer. This is from the Post Millennial, and I think it really just came out if I, November 6th. Yeah, I mean, I think this was just published... Moments ago, flashback, trans activists claimed trans school shooter Audrey Hale was a victim of transphobia, but manifesto real she was fueled by anti-white hate. Those crackers going to fancy private schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. 
Uh, so let's just see this. On Monday morning, pages from the transgender national school shooter Audrey Hale's manifesto was leaked, revealing anti-white hatred and plans to kill those kids. Among the three pages released by Steven Crowder, Hale wrote those crackers, going to fancy schools, we got that, want to kill you little crackers, bunch of little F-words with your white privilege, F-U, F-words. Uh, that's the six-letter F-word, not the four-letter F-word. Uh, now the question was, however, whether or not... Um, Crowd is going to get investigated by um, the Nashville uh, AG. Now I'm looking at the tweet from Jack Posobiec, which says, "Though well, that's not the right, that's not the right tweet. Where was the one where he suggested whether or not they'd be breaking? Anyhow, it's breaking news. Uh, what do I think of the man? These, I, it's a, it's a question as to whether or not you release these manifestos ever. And if you release them ever, then you release them always. The selective releasing of, of manifestos um, is the weaponization of crime. When it suits the purpose, you'll release the manifesto, weaponize it politically for all sorts of political ends, political um, pursuits. And when it runs contrary to a narrative that people want to uh, believe, then you don't release the manifesto. And you bank on the silence and... Um, uh, and weaponize the refusal to release it so that nobody can actually know that there's hate crimes going on. In as much as all crime is, is motivated by hate, in as much as we designate some crimes hate crimes, then you have to apply that same litmus test to all crimes that fit the same pattern. If you go after someone for their skin color because they're black and you call that a hate crime, well, then you have to call something a hate crime when they go after the skin color if it's white. It's, th this is a question of good for the goose, good for the gander. If it's a hate crime to go after someone for their skin color, it's always a hate crime to go after someone for their skin color, even if that skin color, I don't even know how you qualify it as the majority when it's not the majority, depending on where you measure it from. Um, but you always apply the same standard or you don't ever apply the standard. But if you apply the standard sometimes here and not other times there, that's called weaponizing everything. And that is the lawfare, the political... Um, weaponization of crimes for political purposes and ignoring the hate motivation of certain crimes when it's inconvenient. But the idea that this seems to have been a deliberate attack target of white people and Christians and the media covers it up. I mean, I, I hate playing this game because I don't, I don't play this game. Had it been an attack on a black individual, a black institution, it would have been called a hate crime and it would have been weaponized by one side of the political aisle for any number of the reasons and you can make your own checklist which we've all grown very accustomed to but because it is in fact a hate crime targeting the people who are being vilified for everything because you remember now it's christian extremism that's the biggest threat in america it's 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 white christian men biggest threat to america when that's the narrative and then you have uh, the fact that this person was transgender doesn't make anything easier for the narrative. Uh, a, a transgender individual who's going through all sorts of clearly delusional thoughts, have psychological issues, boy howdy, um, targeting white Christian children, no less, and then it's covered up, and now instead of uh, investigating, I thought that when I read the, the headline that they were going to be investigating how it wasn't released, how the manifesto was covered up and suppressed. No, they'll go after the truth-tellers. They'll go after the Crowder for leaking it. How'd you get it, Crowder? Well, it does, you don't need to have stolen it in order for the FBI to come up to you and say, 
We think you're in possession of stolen materials. They did it to James O'Keefe and Project Veritas, and they'll do it to anybody who publishes anything that runs contrary to the narrative. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, that was the, the, the breaking news of the day. Now, hold on a second. Did I, give, I gave Barnes the link for sure. I was, I was going to start with, with something that was not uh, unpleasant, just to share what I did today. Um, but let me see if I, can, if I can... Oh, this is what I wanted to... Well, I was going to start with this just because, you know, a, a slight change of pace, everybody. There's this place um, in Florida called the Loxahatchee, the Arthur A. Marshall Nature Reserve. There's always alligators there, so I go to check out the alligators, dangle a GoPro in the water, see what I can capture. Okay, Look at this. To be a field trip of it's a bunch of kids in canoe kayaks. And, uh, this guy. Sitting there. Looking at the children menacingly. I don't know, like, I'm not a, I'm not a judgmental person. <laughs> this doesn't seem safe to me. Oh, and it disappears under the water. I mean, <laughs> the, problem about th but the problem about this place, everyone should go there. It's, it's beautiful. There's a nature reserve. There's a walk. Um, the problem with it is it's clear that people who fish there feed the alligators because not only are the alligators not scared of humans, they approach, I suspect in the hopes of catching a free meal from any of the people there. And so, you know, th this thing is, it sees movement in the water. The alligators approach the humans and it's, it's terrible. There's a sign that says a fed gator is a dead gator. But what's quite clear is that um, people are feeding these gators. Okay, so while Barnes is getting here, let me share the link with Rumble. Okay, we're live on Rumble. I should have checked that to make sure. Oh, have we got a show and a half tonight? Here's the link to Rumble. It's in the pinned comment. Uh, we're going to start on YouTube, Rumble, and VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com. Are we live here? We're good here too. And then we're going to end on YouTube, go on over to Rumble exclusively. And then after we're done the stream, we go over to VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com, take questions, answer tips, and so on and so forth. What do we have on the menu for tonight? Um, oh my God, the Trump stuff. We've got a lot of stuff on the menu tonight. Let me just make sure that Barnes got the link. You have the link? Question mark, smiley face. You have the link. And uh, we're going to get with this show. Uh, standard disclaimers, no medical advice, no election fortification advice, no legal advice. Um, super chats, YouTube takes 30%. If you don't like that and you want to support the channel, you know how the best way to support the channel is? And I'll show you. I got one myself. The best merch on the planet is at vivafry.com. There are some issues that I'm noticing sometimes. Uh, if you order different products, they ship from different locations, and so it's separate shipping for all of them. I'm trying to work on it with our guys, so hold tight. But if you order the same units, they come from the same place, you don't pay for too much for shipping. The wanted for president, because Trump, uh, Trump testified today in the New York Leticia James persecution. Wild. I mean, I'm following the guy Klasfeld on Twitter. We'll go through some of his tweets. Um, it's wild. Going to be wild, as he said about the uh, thing. If you go to Viva Fry and you get some merch, and I'll show you, it looks just as good in person as it does on the interwebs. Um, Rumble Rants, they have the Rumble Rants there. I read those as often as I can. VivaBarnesLaw.Locals.com for tons of exclusive stuff. Uh, some stuff that is strictly for supporters. We love all of our members and community members, but... Uh, there's some stuff that is exclusive for supporters, but you don't have to support to get a ton of other stuff. You can just become a member, vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Now, 
Do you give advice on erectile dysfunction? Bamboo, I haven't seen you in a long time, sir. How are you doing? Do I give it? Hell no. I mean, premature, whatever. I can maybe, we can talk about that, but not erectile dysfunction. Although that might be a form of... But no, real bambunga, uh, for those of you, we haven't seen, I haven't seen you around for a long time. The real bambunga always had witty, witty remarks and witty jokes. Um, you know what, until Barnes gets here, we're going to, I'm going to start with one thing here. We're going to go through the Klasfeld, Adam Klasfeld. Now, now, Twitter is being a pain in the neck. It's not letting me, um, it's not letting me open up an incognito. So I just have to make sure not to reveal my, my messages, my DMs, my very, very private DMs. Klasfeld is live tweeting the Trump New York Leticia James um, trial, persecution, kangaroo court show trial, whatever you want to call it. it it's wild what's going on. We're going to get to Leticia James, um, her tweet of the day, because, you know, Leticia James never misses, um, never misses an opportunity to post her videos summarizing what happened during the day. Trump testifies today, and they're trying to get Trump, you know, to, to hold him, his feet to the fire that he overvalued his assets. When I'm, I'm tweeting out all of these examples of Klasfeld saying, Judge Angeron has ruled that all of these defenses are, no long, are not valid defenses. It's already been ruled Trump can't raise... Um, a number of defenses that he would have otherwise raised to counter the idea that he either are fraudulently inflated the value of his assets or that some of the provisions in his agreements explain away how uh, everybody knew to take these things with a grain of salt type thing. Uh, that when you, know, when, you value it, when you evaluate your assets, the bank comes in and does their own and you have some boilerplate provisions in there uh, that you can take with uh, more or less, more or less um, seriousness. You can add more or less weight to the provisions. Okay. I want to see every time they say, Trump already said, the judge already ruled that they can't, um, he can't raise that defense. Let me see here. Let's see this here. If I go like this. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> uh, let's start up from the beginning. It doesn't seem that the judge likes Trump, doesn't like what he's been saying. Uh, he seems to be rambling and the judge is like, you can keep talking, I'm just going to draw negative inferences from whatever you're talking about. Hold on, let me bring this out here. That's, I'm, not, I'm not finding it fast enough. Uh, I know that I tweeted a couple of them, so let's just, let's just bring a couple of them up. Here. Oh man, add to stage. Okay, this is me. That's, where, that's me talking right here. Uh, da, da, da. here we go. Kai says, oh my goodness. So after there's a, there's some fighting with the judge, the judge says, no, you can't talk about the worthless provision clause. You can't talk about this defense, that defense. I've already ruled you don't, you don't have grounds for those defenses. They're talking about making, filing a motion, uh, to, uh, revise the terms of the gag order, because now you'll recall that the lawyers have been gagged as well. Uh, Trump's attorneys make post-trial arguments on motions they may intend to make, such as mistrial motions, because they believe that the judge has displayed such bias that there should be a mistrial, or challenging the expansion of the gag order to the lawyers, because the judge says not only can Trump not say anything targeting my staff, neither can the lawyers. 
the judge uh, Abba came out and, and delivered a great statement after court today. The latter barred Trump's lawyers from making statements about his confidential communications with staff. Engron says, I'm 1000% convinced and you don't have any right or reason to complain about my confidential communication. Because apparently what's going on is that the judge is communicating more than he should be or more than is appropriate with his, um, his uh, special clerk, the one who took a picture with uh, Chuck Schumer. And they're like, this, they, they, they tell him, like, this is not normal, Your Honor, that you should be going back and forth so much with, um, with your clerk. We might want to make a motion. Uh, we'll get to it because I need to ask Robert's opinion on this. The judge says, I'm not, I, you can't make a motion like that. And they say, well, we think we can make a motion like that to revise the gag orders and a motion for mistrial. Okay, we're going to get into all this. Barnes is in the house. Uh, let me just see one thing right here before we bring this in. I would pay my left testicle to listen to Barnes and Thomas Sowell just chat while drinking bourbon and smoking cigars. You know, you don't have to go quite that extreme. You can, we, can, we can see if we can make this happen. Okay, we got Barnes in the house. Uh, let's bring him in. Three, two, one. Robert, sir, how goes the battle? Good. good. Uh, look, I started a little bit with the anger on, but we're, we're going to have to get into this because I got so many questions that... Um, Robert, first of all, what's the book you have behind you? The, the Strange uh, Laws of Old the, England. Laws. The strange, laws, yes, yes. The Strange Laws of Old England. It's a good little book about some of the peculiar legal history of uh, our Anglo-American legal tradition. Um, and Robert, uh, how's it? So uh, I will, you, you look like you're back home. Uh, is, uh, how was the travels? How, first of all, how did you like Mar-a-Lago? Ah, beautiful place. Beautiful place. The ballroom was beautiful. Uh, the whole facility is obviously a, a gorgeous place, really done it well. You know, I mean, what's you go back and look at the history in, in current dollars, just the cost to build it was over $100 million. You know, the I mean, uh, uh, less in those dollars in that day, but that gives you an idea. It has some of the unique marble, unique roofs, unique materials that went into the building and the design. So the, uh, you know, the idea that it's worth uh, $18 million today is rather absurd. But it's a uh, uh, yeah, gorgeous place, gorgeous facility, a good event there by Dinesh uh, D'Souza. It was good to talk with uh, uh, Devin Nunes, uh, Jeffrey Clark uh, about, you know, the uh, uh, I mean, I was handling certain things in jest. Uh, I was like, you know, it's a great opportunity. All the cases he has to deal with, you know, they're trying to disbar him. They've already blacklisted him from law firms. They're trying to put him in prison now, all for writing a memo as a Justice Department official. Uh, which is just uh, absurd. It sounds like uh, the fundraising has gone pretty decent, has gone well enough. Uh, people can continue to support uh, Jeffrey Clark at the Give, Send, Go uh, for him because uh, he's one of the lead lawyers in the Georgia case and he's having to battle the disbarment. Uh, he's having to go through some of the things that Professor Eastman is going through in California. Uh, I thought Police State, uh, highly recommend it. You can see it on Rumble or on Locals or order the DVD. Got to talk to the director and some other folks while we were there, which was uh, enjoyable. Uh, you know, well done, well put together. And credit to, to D'Souza uh, for his willingness to say, you know, a lot of this goes back, the worst politicization uh, goes back to the, uh, at least the W uh, administration. And as he pointed out, you know, he at the time excused the Patriot Act. And now he realizes that the critics like Senator Paul, like Ron Paul and others were correct. Uh, so, you know, credit to him for that, uh, you know, very uh, moving closing uh, to the uh, to the film. So it, it's worth your time to uh, to to see the film if you get a chance. Uh, really some insightful interviews that uh, I have not seen anywhere else. 
as well as putting it into a coherent uh, narrative framework of understanding how, how we got here uh, to the degree that we see the insanity we're witnessing in New York. Florida Dad actually has a question here. Uh, Robert, did you catch the November 3rd article, Salon article, about Trump rejecting further input from the Federalist Society? Did someone finally listen to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think he's witnessed it. You know, he's seen that a lot of the people that have promoted that, you know, they pushed a lot of judges on him uh, that, you know, the uh, and, and he went along with their advice, them and the Heritage Foundation. And a lot of those judges didn't turn out to be what he was promised they would be uh, because the Federalist Society has good po- components to it, no doubt, but has compromised components. There's people at the top at the Federalist Society who are aligned with the state, aligned with the Bushites, aligned with the, uh, I mean, the Federalist Society pushed Christopher Ray. You know, I mean, Ray is probably his number one uh, area where he second guesses the lot, the advice that they gave him. But I think some judges that they promoted that, you know, stood down during the election contest that are not intervening as yet in these insane cases. Uh, I mean, to such a degree that people like Senator Vance, uh, has been calling for the impeachment of the D.C. judge. Now he's saying he's going to hold up Justice Department uh, officials being nominated by the Senate until and unless the nonsense uh, of the attacks on Trump stop. Uh, and so we'll see. But the the a lot of the Federalist Society nominees uh, did came from the Bushite corporate statist wing, not from the populist or libertarian wing. And that's just shown up in decisions that had particular negative consequences for Trump himself. So I'm sure that, you know, it's one of the things he's learned as to who he can trust and who he can't is that he tried to work with that group while he was uh, in the White House and it uh, has not worked out to his benefit then or now. And we're going to get to this one in a bit. There's one other question we're going to get to tonight, which I had to add to the list. Did you happen to watch the new Laura Logan exposure of Ray Epps and new footage and audio saying I'm here for the insurrection? Well, we're going to get there. Robert, what's on the menu for the evening? Yeah, so uh, topics one, two, and three are Trump, uh, the New York trial, the the Florida classified documents case, the uh, gag orders in D.C. and New York, uh, uh, and then the the Colorado ballot access uh, case uh, that might be a preview of things to come. And then topics four through eight are all about the Second Amendment, uh, uh, in one case, Second Amendment and the First Amendment which involves the NRA and the First Amendment in New York. Supreme Court's taken that case, and it might have ramifications for the current Trump New York case, amongst others. The uh, protective orders, uh, you know, these orders of protection that get issued, uh, that's going to be up before the Supreme Court as well, uh, about how Second Amendment rights have been stripped from people. Can Congress just unilaterally rule you out of the people that have Second Amendment rights? That's the issue. It's massive. Uh, bump stock case is going to go before the U.S. Supreme Court. Open carry is pending before the California courts. Uh, public nuisance uh, laws, attacks on gun manufacturers is up before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Then we have a verdict in the SBF case and who's really responsible for exposing SBF. The, uh, what, in, what limits are there on workers' comp? When are you stuck with workers' comp for an injury? Does it include things like assaults and batteries that that might... We have a particular case, which is a very unique case, a six-year-old getting involved. Yeah, does workman's comp involve a a teacher getting shot by a six-year-old kid? Another example could be, does it cover uh, assault and battery cases related to vaccine injuries? Uh, That that case may have some ramification for that. 
the uh, sports rights monopoly, the end, the national communist against athletes has been uh, sued again for its attempts to monopolize uh, amateur athletics. Uh, a big realty fraud case that hasn't really got as much media attention as, as it could because it could potentially reshape the entire real estate market. It's about the commissions that uh, buyers uh, or sellers have to pay for the buyer's agent. Uh, a, a verdict that may get up to $5 billion just came out of Kansas City, and that just covers a small portion of the potential damages in those cases and the potential ramifications for the entire economy. Berkshire Hathaway uh, was one of the defendants in that case. Uh, a couple of bonus cases. Uh, the Connecticut caught uh, with election fraud. Uh, a, uh, a rather unique defamation case uh, involving some uh, competing funeral home uh, morgue type op morgue operators about whether an ex-employee really did something improper with a sex doll or not and, and some other things. Uh, that's a little fun case. And uh, uh, the Connecticut election case gets into all the issues and all the same legal principles that were 2020. It just involves a recent application of it in the Bridgeport mayor's context. All right, let's start on YouTube before we end on YouTube with just at least one of the Trump cases. Uh, hold on, which one do we want to start with? We'll start with uh, the guy. Let's start with New York, Robert. All right, so first of all, this is a civil suit for uh, alleged fraud, defrauding the citizens of New York. They've compelled, uh, I don't know what lengths they went to to try to quash the subpoenas, but last week you had Eric Don Jr. Ivanka is gonna testify on Wednesday. Compulsion of the kids to testify. My, uh, first of all, uh, I don't understand how they can compel them and not quash the subpoenas on the, at least for Ivanka who was dropped as a defendant. Is it a perjury trap? They've compelled Donald Trump to testify today, and he did, and he says, yeah, my stuff was great. I had all the, I had cash, but I think the properties were worth a lot more than they were, uh, you know, than you do. Uh, the, the restrictive covenant, covenant on Mar-a-Lago says intend to, I could have used it for something else, so it's obviously worth more than the 18 to $27 million valuation. The judge gag order, one fine, 5,000, another one, 10,000, gagging the lawyers. I mean, how... I, Make sense of it. How can the judge get away with doing what he's doing? Uh, it's because the higher courts and federal courts didn't intervene when they should have. I mean, this has been a politically motivated, frivolous, baseless case from the day one. There are no victims. I mean, it's what stands out about all the Trump cases. Name the victim. There isn't one. There isn't one in Georgia. There isn't one in Florida. There isn't one in D.C. There isn't one in New York in the criminal case or the civil case. I mean, who, who's the victims? There are none. So it's preposterous on its face. The uh, and so that's and then it's a with a court that's not it should have been signed to the commercial division in New York. It, this this judge refused to do so, and the higher courts didn't force him to do so. And the federal courts who had multiple out in New York and in Florida an opportunity to intervene to stop this insanity have refused to. They've allowed the judiciary to expose its ugly partisan prejudicial per, uh, side of its persona to the world. And I, I, the question is, how long do they let this ludicrous uh, sideshow, this ludicrous uh, uh, show trial, continue to the damage and detriment of the judiciary's integrity and its uh, appearance of integrity to the entire world? Uh, they, they, now, I've dealt with judges like this many times, but the difference is my cases are the person that's being targeted doesn't have the support of a majority of the country to be the next president of the United States. That's how they get away with it in those cases. 
they get away with in those cases because they target the political politically marginal. And historically, that I mean, we've had lots of corrupt judges from day one. Um, the difference is they usually uh, don't target someone that is the next president of the United States and a past president of the United States. They also don't usually do it on such utterly baseless grounds as this judge. They don't violate all the procedural rules. You have an attorney general who got elected saying, I'm going to harass Trump. That that by itself should have thrown out any claim that that attorney general brought. Yet it didn't. Yeah, but Robert, and, and if I may, the judge already uh, dismissed or ruled that Trump could not invoke the political motivation argument. I mean, I, I, I got the tweets one after the other. How does a judge say that you cannot raise as a defense political motivation of the woman persecuting you? Well, how do you hold a trial after you've already ruled him guilty? You know, the uh, how do you hold a trial when you're presiding and you've denied a jury trial in the case? I mean, I mean, when it's clear what he's going to do. So he just exposed more today what fraudulent intent he has with his statement that he didn't care what Trump had to say. He wasn't here to hear what Trump had to say. Well, then why are you compelling his testimony? The I mean, I mean, it's he's making an utter mockery. So what's going on in particular is this clerk appears to be writing a lot of his rulings or making his decisions for him. And this is the clerk he demanded Trump not talk about. This is the clerk he demand uh, that he man demand that the Trump's lawyers not talk about. This is the clerk that he demanded Trump's campaign not talk about. This is the clerk that he has fined people for talking about. This is a public official that's having a very unusual influence on these proceedings. And she appears to be writing rulings and making decisions for him in live time. Um, and the lawyers said, look, we want to make a record about this. And he said, I'm telling you, you can't even file a motion to make a record about it. Okay, And his, the rationale here. Trump says New York Attorney General, I think, oh, no, that's the political hack one. Um, nothing abnormal about this. Here, Keese says he wants to make a motion to mention information potentially barred by the gag order uh, on the lawyers in their mistrial motion. There's no way to file that motion without referencing the stuff I said you can't. There's no way to file that motion without referencing the subject matter. Engron says, don't file that motion. Yes, I'm directing you not to make that motion, which I presume would, would reference the information that the judge said they can't talk about. I'm going to protect my staff. I mean, look, I, this I've is been precisely why I said the gag order was wrong from day one. There is no you are a public official. You have no right to silence anybody in a public uh, about making comments about that public official, least of all within a court proceeding, but definitely outside the court proceeding as well. So, I mean, this is this is a judge trying to cover up the partisan corruption of his court and how he's handling proceedings by covering up the political prejudice of his clerk, who's having an uh, injudicious influence on the court's own proceedings in this very trial. Now, apparently last week he said there have been other cases where the clerks have assisted the judge a lot and there's been a lot of communication. So this is not abnormal. Well, I mean, uh, it, it's this level of it is absolutely abnormal. Mm -hmm. I mean, this judge is so incompetent. He needs the clerk to make decisions for him. And in essence, I mean, we have judges for a reason. Clerks are there to help. They're not there to be the judge. And it appears the clerk is the judge frequently in this case. <laughs> and thus, the clerk's prejudice is absolutely relevant. For example, if you can move to disqualify a judge for prejudice, well, if the clerk's the one making the actual decisions, then the clerk's subject to disqualification. The, uh, uh, for example, in the Brooke Jackson case, I inquired into the uh, the judge wasn't happy about this either, but that judge in that case. Uh, but it, I think it's important to look at clerks. 
because clerks have a lot of influence on judges. And I wanted to know, here's a problem, for example. What if you have a clerk presiding? If a judge has Pfizer stock, the judge should be disqualified. This has already come up in New York, by the way. Mm -hmm. Children's Health Defense exposed that a judge presiding over a Pfizer impacted case in the vaccine context had stock in Pfizer. And that was inappropriate. Well, what if the clerk does, right? So what if the what if the clerk has already taken a law job after their clerkship with a law firm that represents Pfizer? Can you imagine if you if you had a, a law clerk that's going to be one of your future lawyers already on contract to be your future lawyer uh, working for the judge in a case that impacted you? I mean, this is a problem. And for a long time, people have been unwilling to expose the problem with clerks, with bailiffs, sometimes with marshals. I've had to bring it up in multiple cases, and it's it. Bailiffs can have huge influence. They're often the only ones that have access to the jury. They often know things that are going on with the jury that nobody else does. I've experienced it firsthand. I've clerks and bailiffs have have known about juror misconduct that they've hidden from from the litigants in the proceeding inappropriately. So you know there are plenty of good bailiffs and clerks out there, but there are also rogue ones. And here you have a clerk that appears to be really making the decisions. Well, her political prejudice should be fully exposed to the world. And that's why he doesn't want anyone to even talk about. So that's why the gag order was patently unconstitutional. This is a judge abusing every aspect of his power. And he's agitated that he doesn't get to manipulate the narrative. He says, am I making the law? I want to bring up another one here. Uh, I just got to bring up a few of them. Are you aware of any valuations of the statements yet that are worth tens of billions? Oh, yeah, here we go. Are you aware of any valuations of the statements of financial condition from 2017 to 2021? Trump, I'm worth billions of dollars more than the financial statements and anything off would be non-material. The judge rejected materiality arguments before the trial. How very convenient. Uh, Which, what was by the other way, one? is insane. I, know, I, I mean, Robert, historically, you can't bring a fraud claim unless it's material. So, for example, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm selling you this book, Strange Laws of Old England, and I tell you um, the, the, the inside book cover is green rather than yellow, and it turns out it's yellow. But that had nothing to do with whether you're going to buy the book. But you can't bring a civil fraud case. You can't bring a criminal fraud case anywhere in America in that instance. Materiality is a required element. And yet he decided materiality didn't matter here. He had to because it was immaterial. The, uh, the, the, uh, the other thing that was fascinating today in Trump's testimony, well, two things were striking. I, I'm not that surprised, but it was still impressive how knowledgeable Trump is of all the intricate aspects of his assets. There's a lot of, you know, there's other business developers out there that don't often know every little tiny tidbit of their business. Trump does, you know, and Trump understood the valuation from multiple perspectives. But the second aspect, and he revealed his detail, that's what agitated the judge. It was just exposing what a ludicrous case it was, because Trump, more than anybody, can explain exactly why. You know, he was like, this this property is between Tiffany's and IBM. I'm not selling it for more than for less than this. And the reason why is because it's between Tiffany's and IBM, which means they have an interest in understanding that property. That's how he got Mar-a-Lago way back when he first wanted to buy it. They wouldn't sell it to him. So he bought the beach side that was in front of Mar-a-Lago and said, I'm going to build a high rise right here. So you guys don't have a beach view anymore. Then they sold it to him for half the price he originally offered because he understood all the ways that real estate plays a role. The fascinating thing today was the degree to which their whole theory is that there's somehow an absolute valuation 
And that doesn't exist in real estate, to be frank. So the, uh, the, particularly there's what's called as is and as developed. So like, for example, the government, when they steal your property, they always try to say, you can't bring an as developed claim. So they might steal your property that's worth 10 million, but let, but as is it's worth a million, right? They, they do this all the time and it becomes very difficult. I've litigated real estate, a wide range of contexts, legal malpractice, real estate malpractice, valuations, uh, uh, takings cases, zoning cases, you name it. And what you realize is the as developed value is how developers look at the property. So when Trump is assessing it, he's looking at how can I use this property? Can I use it for this? Per like, for example, when he bought that beachfront property next to Mar-a-Lago, his goal was to use it to leverage to buy Mar-a-Lago. Uh, that gave it a different valuation than maybe it did by itself, right? He got it, you know, cheaper because he understood it's better value than what the seller did. The uh, here they don't seem to understand that. Like they're saying, well, they're at, they're acting like it can only have X value. It it, it can it couldn't have, you know, as developed value also widely varies because it depends on the creativity of the developer. Like they were going on about the Scott about the golf course in Scotland, and and they're like, well, you know, this talked about the possibility of building on it, but you hadn't built on it yet. And he, that's not how you do as developed property. The uh, when you're looking, I'll give an example. I was looking at property in Tennessee by a lake. It's for sale for 550 grand. It's just a just land. There's no home on it. Uh, if if you looked at that, if the government came and took it, they would say it's worth 50 grand. Because why? Because right now there's nothing on it. Uh, you know the now you have access to a whole bunch of infrastructure and you have zoning legal rights to build there which is what a developer would value the land at and why it's being sold for more than half a million dollars. But if you looked at it as, as say, agrarian value, the lowest possible pasturing value, then maybe it's 50 grand. Maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's 10 grand. Um, if you put it out randomly someplace, it's probably 10 grand. They're trying to, the government's trying to argue that it's locked. The as is value is the only value it can ever have, not the as developed value. And that's a ludicrous uh, interpretation of how they do real estate. And that's what the whole case basically is. Uh, you know, we're going to end on on YouTube now. Everyone, come on over to Rumble. We're going to continue this discussion there. Uh, ending three, two, one. Rumble. The link is in the pinned comment of the chat. Going exclusive to Rumble, people. Let's get ready to Rumble. Okay, done. Um, Robert. And then there was there. I want to. I want to bring this one up as well. I, it, it was one defense after another. Trump says, I think she's a political hack. He says the New York attorney general used this case to try to become governor and to successfully remove attorney general. Trump lost political motivation arguments before trial. So he can't refer to the, uh, what do they call it? Not the meaningless clause, but the irrelevancy clause, Im immateriality. But there was another one. It was to the essence of what fraud is. He's not supposed to talk about as developed value versus as is value. He's not supposed to talk about the political prejudice in the proceedings by the judge or by the prosecutor. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's like it, it's what we pointed out back uh, when a lot of conservatives were silent and mute. Uh, God bless her. But Megyn Kelly was one of those people that was a little mute about the Alex Jones trials. And the and we said that, you know, just like what happened with social media, they were going to use the example of the Alex Jones trial and replicate it and repeat it. They did. Uh, and what do they do in Alex Jones cases? First, they prohibited him from presenting most of his defense at trial. They held a complete show trial with movie, movie companies in Texas filming it live. That's how absurd it was. 
Then, second, he wasn't allowed to say certain things uh, from the stand. He wasn't allowed to say he was innocent. He wasn't allowed to explain what took place. He wasn't even allowed to mitigate damages. He wasn't allowed to rebut the absurd and ludicrous valuations put on by the defense. I mean, uh, uh, by the plaintiffs in that case. He, he couldn't say that he had already apologized to the victims. Correct. Couldn't do any. And, and now we're just seeing it replicated. They, the system saw they got away with it in the Joneses cases in Connecticut and Texas. And many conservatives were quiet and mute about it. And so they were just like they were quiet and mute when Alex Jones got banned from everywhere on social media. And what did that escalate to? Removing Trump from social media. And now they're using it against Trump. And what people are shocked by is that people who are who are still somehow true believers in every aspect of our legal system are shocked at just how horrendous it is in politically motivated and partisan cases. And we're seeing it in all of these cases. Uh, we're seeing I mean, the, the D.C. judge reimposes her gag order and the D.C. Court of Appeals, even liberal Democratic judges who keep magically reappearing on some of these election politically related cases out of the D.C. circuit. They uh, uh, even they uh, step in and, and stop the gag order in D.C. for a period, until they have full briefing, because the, even the ACLU, which has been very political in the Trump era, uh, came in and said, OK, this is way too far. Uh, you know, there's no way you can you can do this. Uh, all I mean, as Trump has been pointing out, these cases are election interference. That's what their goal is. I mean, the New York Times survey of swing states that historically the same polling, Siena University Polling Service, has understated Trump's performance in these swing states by an average of seven points, has Trump up in all but Wisconsin, which means his lead is massive uh, in, in, in those states, given the, hist the historical bias of those polling institutions. So that's why they continue to escalate. And Trump refuses to play ball. And credit to his counsel for refusing to capitulate to the corrupt judge in New York uh, well, by challenging him before the court and then challenging him afterwards. Well, uh, on cue, Robert, let me play this because this is the clip I wanted to show. You have a right to hire a lawyer who can stand up and say something when they see something wrong. But I was told to sit down today. I was yelled at and I've had a judge who is unhinged slamming a table. Let me be very clear. I don't tolerate that in my life. I'm not gonna tolerate it here. And you know what? You shouldn't either. You have a right I, I, lawyer. How, how do I stop this? There we go. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and credit to them for, for, for doing that. The, uh, uh, we'll see what even the liberal Democratic judges do in the D.C. circuit. I think what they write, I mean, they're, they're expediting potential Supreme Court review. But then we had another show trial this past week in Colorado. Robert, th this one is unbelievable. I've been following this closely. Um, Where they're say, trying to block people, by the way, from rebroadcasting the trial. Well, well I, I, I'm sure you saw I had um, Ash Epp. She was one of the guests on uh, Infowars when I hosted on Friday, talking about she was the one identified by the court as allegedly unlawfully broadcasting or streaming the trial which is being broadcast, streamed on CNN, C-SPAN, is where I thought, once it's on C-SPAN, you can't prevent people from not rebroadcasting it. Well, They're again, you have a public right. These are public trials to which the public has a right to participate. In the, in the old day, these, these were actually held outdoors, going way back to give people an idea. The whole community got to participate. So the grounds by which to exclude the public from, from 
uh, watching these trials is an additional outrage. Jack Smith is demanding the D.C. federal court, which uh, not lift its ban on video uh, recording because it doesn't want uh, Jack Smith doesn't want anybody to see that trial either. That's a question. Before I forget, I think we've talked about I think I've asked you before. State courts can broadcast their trials. Federal courts can't. Did I, I ever mean, ask you? Can. Is, the federal courts have an internal rule that prohibits it. So they, they have the, distra- the discretion then to lift that ban to, to broadcast trials if they so choose? Potentially. Uh, I don't think it's ever been done, actually, with federal court. But they're reconsidering the rules at the con- judicial conference level. And it's always been problematic, uh, the, in my view, because, again, all the, every public trial should be public which means we have the capacity to broadcast them to the world. We should broadcast them to the mm-hmm. world, period. Nobody should be in the dark about what's happening inside our courtrooms. The right to a public trial, the right to all judicial proceedings being public is there for a reason. And so it's, a, it's astounding that, that this has happened as long as it has happened. But it tells you a lot about who they are, that the Colorado judge only wants the proper people to distribute the, the uh, extended the media, the authorized the same media. judge who forgot her obvious political prejudice when she'd given money to cause, you know, causes related to the case before. I forget what the, it's called act blue or something. I forget exactly what the organization is for. It's the it's one a that democratic was a fundraising tool, a democratic fundraising. It's, it's to fight the Republicans who were quiet on the insurrection. It, it literally refers to January 6th as an insurrection. She only gave a hundred bucks. It was before she was appointed as a judge, but sure as hell not before she knew she was going to become a judge. I mean, you're going to preside over something related to January 6th when you've made, when you've made political donations to one side of the she, I mean, and, it, it, it's ridiculous. There shouldn't even be a trial. That there's no right for the for the courts to exclude a candidate from the ballot. That they don't have that right. They never have had that right. And and generally, they've done a decent job of recognizing that. But this judge refuses. I mean, it's why when I was talking about the the why the Trump camp should welcome a Robert Kennedy campaign is that the only deterrence to them removing Trump from the ballot in a majority of the states is uh, is that Robert Kennedy would could be the beneficiary rather than Joe Biden, and that Bobby Kennedy scares them uh, more, frankly, than Trump does. And so the uh, uh, but because we're seeing I mean, they're they're weaponizing everything. They're weaponizing everything. Robert, it's crazy. It's crazy where I remember seeing in real time that it, they won't go there, they went there, and then that just becomes the next starting point. Uh, they see a Rubicon and they just can't wait to pass it. <laughs> and I mean, take, that, that's and, it. As they see it, like, oh, let's cross this one. Oh, let's cross this one. And as I, as I like to say, take a nice steaming aqua dump in the river as they cross it. In Colorado, it's not just that the judge made a $100 donation when she knew that she was going to become a judge. She was appointed by Jared Polis. And apparently George Soros got heavily involved in making sure that Jared Polis got um, elected governor of Colorado. This case is predicated on the idea that Trump insurrected and therefore should be removed from the ballot, not included on the ballot of both the primaries and the general because insurrection, Article 14, subparagraph 3. This is the question, Robert. He hasn't been charged, let alone convicted. Sorry, let me rephrase that. He hasn't been convicted, let alone charged. Are they, how are they applying a civil burden of proof, a civil standard to insurrection, which in theory is a criminal offense, and they bypass the beyond a reasonable doubt conviction of insurrection to then get to a preponderance of the evidence? There's no evidence, no grounds that the judiciary has any role in this whatsoever, number one. Number two, the, the, the clause at issue doesn't apply to the president. It, it specifically excludes the president. 
there, there's some people out there that think officers applies to the president. The courts have specifically ruled that that officer language in the Constitution does not apply to the president. Um, and so that's problem number two. Problem number three, uh, the only enforcement mechanism is Congress that's listed in the amendment. Problem four uh, is that insurrection, uh, to the degree it can exist, would require a, a, a factual finding by Congress that would be inapplicable here anyway, uh, because it contradicts other clauses of the Constitution, and you have to read them in conformity. Uh, and then, of course, fifth, I mean, this was really just a civil war clause, as Dershowitz has pointed out, that they pardoned everybody ultimately anyway related to. So it's ludicrous to even try to apply this uh, to uh, Trump. It's it's not within the uh, cognizance of the courts to it's a political question that is not within their power to adjudicate anyway. And of course, the clause at issue doesn't apply to him and the substance doesn't apply to him. So it, it's just absurdity built on absurdity built on absurdity. And what it's all about is election interference. It's another Democratic hack judge trying to prohibit the American people from electing who they want to elect president, who are trying to stage a constitutional coup against the American people uh, and making a mockery of the judiciary as an institution of independence or integrity in the process. Um, and then there's the joke that they're saying it's sort of a passive insurrection and that he didn't call in the troops and therefore that's how he facilitated the insurrection. I mean, I, I've gone over it. By definition, there's a reason why the president's not in that clause. How could the president engage in insurrection? Right. I mean, they, against himself? I mean, <laughs> well, they do the they're... logic here. I mean, there's a reason why the president's not listed in the 14th Amendment, folks. No, nobody, that, that, that doesn't even make sense, uh, the idea that it could apply. It, it makes no sense at all. So the it, it's it's just ludicrous at, at every legal, constitutional, and factual level. And and to just for those who are not watching it, they had I talked about it at length last week. They had an expert come in on violent extremism, talk about how everything Trump does is intended to uh, incite insurrection from far right extremists. Maybe it was they, one of the same uh, fraudulent uh, experts that testified in the Alex Jones cases. Remember, they had some of those fake experts uh, out. out I think it's I think it's the expert who wrote up Twitter's justification for banning Trump on January 8th. Then they had an expert come in on the 14th Amendment and say, this is, you know, this is how it's he insurrected. It was it was. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 a it's a ridiculous, ridiculous trial for anybody who's watching it, it. You cannot describe the degree to which it's a joke of a trial where the opening statements and, and a line of questioning was when Trump said peaceful. It was a dog whistle call to violence. It was evidence of how violent his rhetoric was because if his, if his rhetoric weren't insurrectionist, he wouldn't have had to say, keep it peaceful. They were ignoring the tweets where he said, stay peaceful, we're on the side of law and order. Because he was booted from the platform two days later, nobody could even see that anymore. It's a joke. Um, but when does it end? We'll see. Okay, what's yeah, the other I mean, one? I mean, I mean, basically the constitutional future of the country is at stake in the next nine months. And the question is whether somebody at some level is going to do something to stop this insanity before it gets passed. Uh, before they cross a Rubicon, they can't uncross. Well, have, are we not there, Robert? I mean, that, that's the problem. Uh, they're, they're, on, they're on the path to it. There's no doubt about it. You know, Caesar's on the march. And the uh, whether the Republic will last is we'll find out in the next, uh, next year. Like next that, 12 what, months we're going to find out. What does it look like if the Republic doesn't last? Do the states break off and become their own countries and you have a balkanization of America? Chaos, rarely, you know, chaos is not something anyone should eagerly welcome because it tends to produce more problems than goods, at least in the short order.
So the, I mean, I'm still hopeful that at some level, uh, at some point, somebody steps in and says, wait, hold on a second. I mean, when you have Eric Holder making the round saying, you know, jailing Trump over a speech, probably a bad idea. Probably don't want to jail him over a gag. Think about that, right? That's Obama's people saying, hold on, this is getting, looking really, really bad. This is this, but these people have lost all sense of perspective that they have so long been embubbled in their own political world and they've so, and they have faced so little consequence for their bad actions for so many years that they don't understand the ramifications of what they're doing. And that's how, that's how civilizations fall is, is not just corrupt elites, it's incompetent elites uh, is where civilizations and governments and societies just collapse often quicker rather than slower. My, my concern is that there's going to be, in as much as there's 80 million people who don't think 2020 was legit, there's going to be 70 million people who think that Trump should be in jail. And if he gets elected again, they won't accept it. But when they don't accept things, it's mostly peaceful, but slightly fiery protests. What's yeah. the, uh, the, new, the news out of Florida? Judge Cannon postponed the trial. It looks like it's going to because of all the gamesmanship that Jack Smith has been playing. And Cannon is uh, less and less sympathetic to the games that the government's been playing, trying to manipulate who can be defense counsel for various defendants. They failed on that effort, uh, trying to hide certain discovery. They failed on that effort, trying to misuse and abuse the grand jury to discover evidence. They failed on that effort. Now they're hiding other documents and discovery and records. That is, uh, And they, what they, she can see exactly what they did. They, when they realized that they drew her, they thought, oh, well, we're not going to get what we want. We're not going to get the show trial we want from her, quick conviction, pre-election from her. So they ran to D.C., got an indictment in D.C., got the judge they wanted, you know, the, the, the granddaughter and great niece of, of radical foreign communists um, who was happy to do their bidding at, at any eager ease, uh, as prejudicial as the New York judge. Uh, is and once they saw that they said hey let's schedule a quicker trial there and the problem is that trial com- conflicts with the trial date in Florida and and the, and judge and the judge Cannon was like what are you doing I mean you're scheduling something where he's gonna have to be in two trials at the same time like I mean this is insane and they were pretending that isn't what they were doing but it's obvious what they were doing so it's likely that case is gonna get pushed down the road. Um, and like I, what I've said from day one is once they drew the DC judge, they'll put all their eggs in that basket that they won't well, rush the Georgia case. They won't rush the Florida case. They won't rush the New York case. They'll put it all. They got a judge in. they got a judge in a jury pool. They got a lynching jury pool and a lynching judge. And, and once they got that, they were, that would be where they put all, and that's where it is. And Cannon's just calling them on it. Well, and, and D.C. is the is the only one that's remotely related to insurrection. So if they get their D.C. conviction, yeah, that strengthens their correct. call. Around. They want to use, and now it's obvious they try to use that to sucker courts into keeping the American people from voting for who they want for president. The uh, which, again, their only restraint on that is that uh, I mean, maybe Barris or somebody else will test it. If Trump was off the ballot, uh, where do those votes go? My guess is it, it's not going to go to Joe Biden in those states. And are they really willing to accept a President Kennedy or a split electoral college that goes to the House of Representatives, which is likely to be a Republican majority the way they vote by state delegation? So, you know, the I don't think they've thought all of this all the way through. Kennedy threw a, a, a wrench into all that because they thought they would just rig the Democratic primary and 
he would just go along with it. And when he didn't, uh, they haven't really had the next stage will be they'll try to keep Kennedy off the ballot, that there'll be a lot of efforts to keep him from uh, making the ballot with a lot of crazy rules and laws that exist about who can circulate petitions, who can sign petitions, when they can circulate petitions, when they can sign. Petitions. But are, aren't they raising the argument that Trump uh, that Trump that Kennedy can't run as an independent third party when he's already announced uh, loyalty or, or allegiance to the Democrats? Yeah, that's the sore is the uh, sore loser laws. Most of those have been struck down and don't exist anymore. And he wasn't listed on the ballot in, in the very few states that are there. So that one, they they won't won't make much of uh, hay. The, the way they keep independence off the ballot is they create all these Byzantine bureaucratic rules about when you can circulate petitions to get somebody on the ballot, who can circulate those petitions, when the person can sign the petition, who it is that can sign the petition, how many signatures you get signed, what the paperwork looks like in format. I mean, I, I think Kennedy estimates it may cost as much as $15 million just to get him on the ballot. Right. That's what these rules are there. Now, I've I've had success getting a lot of these rules struck down, including the Nader v. Brewer case out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The deadlines are too early. Uh, the signature requirements are usually too high. The circulated requirements are too restrictive. That's core political speech. So there's ways to fight it legally. And I'm sure he probably will where he needs to fight legally as well. But it's all part and parcel of the same process. You know, and, and you know, in the interim, they'll figure out whether we go to World War Three in between. I have other concerns for RFK Jr. that I will not say out loud, but everybody has the same ones. Uh, Mr. Barnes, the problem is that the old world, uh, sorry, is that the world news do not tell his side of the Trump story to tell everything about the fake negative story about Trump. Well, that's, uh, why, they're, that's why they're issuing gag orders. That's why they're trying to prohibit who can broadcast the case, that, 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 that they're attempting to control the narrative. But you can see in the polling results, it's not changing public opinion the way they thought it would. Now, I think they think as long as they get a conviction that they'll either get court complicity in keeping Trump off the ballot or uh, they'll get a public reaction that sinks Trump. That's yep. that's their current obvious course or, of action or a party. But they've got to somehow do it without Robert Kennedy inheriting the votes because uh, then they're back into the same boat. Uh, so that that's where Kennedy is a wrench in everything that they had planned well, on doing. Uh, unless the GOP field says, well, if he's been convicted, then we will not well, that, allow that him. Santos was out pitching, but there, there's no uh, that would kill the Republican Party. That would just end the Republican Party as a party. But, the, but, the, uh, but the, you, you know, say the, that. But would that be a problem? That would be good for the Uniparty, for the Republicans that don't care or the rhinos, as they're called. I mean, that would be good for the Uniparty. Well, but, yeah, it? then it emerged. That's how third parties emerge that completely replace the old party. Mm -hmm. So re Republican congressmen don't want that. Republican senators, Republican governors, Republican state legislators. Everybody's on the ballot in 2024 doesn't want an end to their party that puts them in power. So that that's why you'll never see the Republican Party go that far. DeSantis is hoping in the back of his mind that that's what happens. It ain't going to happen. All right. Now, before we go on any further, I think that covers the Trump cases. Let me just read the rumble rants. And by the way, there's over 10,000 people watching. Drop a comment and hit the thumbs up button. We should have 10,000 thumbs up. Uh, I'm joking. That's not possible. Touch the rot. Touch the riot. Viva Fry. Winston is worth every dime of vet care. $5 worth of extra treats for the lad. He is. And thank you very much. Sad wings raging. Campaign donation for Robert Barnes running for mayor, was it? Campaign slogan was, quote, a helicopter in every yard, was it not? Based. Dapper Dave says, based on this, this corrupt judge's actions, in my opinion, 
Can all of this judge's past cases be reviewed for other biases? If possible, who could make that request? Robert, I think the answer to that is no, but let me read this one first before you answer that. Her says, why do they continue to threaten journalists with jail for not revealing sources? Isn't this long established, isn't this long established that sources don't have to be revealed? It depends um, on the state. There's no federal privilege, uh, journalist privilege. Um, there is a, in some states, they've passed uh, a, a journalist privilege law, but it all varies as to when it applies. And it's limited, is the short answer. Uh, in many states, it's very limited. There's not much of a privilege at all. Uh, and then Dapper Dave's question, can they go and review this civil court, this civil trial lawyers, all, judges, all of his prior decisions? I mean, the answer to that is obviously no. Well, on appeal, yes. Uh, no, uh, all the other prior, oh, anyone pending appeal, any, anything that has attained the status of is it rest judicata? Yeah, I mean, once there's a final judgment, all, every, every ruling he's made is subject to appellate review. Within what, okay, within whatever delays. And the other question, Robert, before I forget, actually, it came from our locals community. Um, someone wanted us to flesh out the Trump organization fraud. This was Weisselberger. Weisselberg? This was the Trump. Oh, the, yeah. The, this the guy had nothing to do with the organization. Nothing. They call it the Trump organization fraud. It was the accountant who was found guilty of fraud because he was unknowing to the organization, using monies to pay for personal expenses, not declaring it as such, private right. school, et cetera, et cetera. So they call it the Trump org fraud, but yeah, it's why. The Trump Weiss organization was the victim. Okay, good. So I, I didn't the, misunderstand the, that. The That's where, right. like, Trump did have a great line when they were asking, you know, like, you don't have houses on that Scottish property. He's like, well, I got a castle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, he uh, he has managed to handle all of this very, very well and effectively. Now, the constitutional case that might have consequence for this is the case the Supreme Court has taken up involving New York, involving selective prosecution, uh, involving state officials, which is the NRA First Amendment case. Uh, before we get there, to show you how abusive the system is getting, uh, the it appears that they are going to try to put, you know, Owen Troyer by that Federalist Society recommended judge out of D.C. who issued a 60-day sentence and then wouldn't even give him bail pending appeal, which is highly unusual uh, in general. The uh, didn't like anybody second-guessing anything he did, which means he doesn't understand why bail pending appeal should be automatic, frankly, because of that exact judicial bias. But it appears that Owen may end up serving the entire sentence or a large part of it. In solitary, in solitary confinement, which is insane. This is a misdemeanor case, 60 days. They, they, I've seen no identification that he's violated any Bureau of Prison policy or rule, and that they're going to lock it. He'd already put him up, I think, for a week or so in solitary, and now they're talking about putting up for most of the rest of his sentence in solitary, where you, you, you often there's light, you can't sleep, you can't eat, uh, the food quality is bad. You have, They know it causes uh, for more so than five days... Uh, uh, mental health problems. And so they're basically just torturing the guy uh, for saying 1776 on the Capitol steps. Well, be, be, beyond that, I mean, they put him in a week of solitary for COVID. Okay, that was the that was the protocol. It's bullshit, but they did it. Then he puts out that tweet. Apparently, I mean, he, he didn't put out someone else put out so, the tweet. The, the, he just someone, talked to somebody uh, on the phone. Well, no, actually, I, I should be very clear about that because th that account, Owen Schroyer, seventeen seventy six, is being managed by others while he's in the right. while he's on he the has inside. No social media access. He, they, they published a, a phone call that he gave or a message from jail, and you we, we talked about this in Mar-a-Lago. You're looking in to see what what rules he broke, but the idea I, is I, I reviewed the BOP policies, 
and reviewed the local jail protocols that are published, and there's no policy he violated. The argument so, I mean, is it that it just appears that you have a politically motivated warden uh, who has a history, by the way, of causing the death of inmates there at that facility in recent years due to his mismanagement, uh, due to the warden's mismanagement of that facility, uh, appearing to just abuse his power because he's been given a political permission slip. He thinks uh, it would appear. Uh, it appears to me. So the uh, what people most most people don't care about inmates, and so they consequently a lot of rights get abused on a regular basis. Uh, of that. But, you know, we're looking into whether there's some sort of legal action that can be taken. The hard part is by the time you get a court to hear it, uh, he's already out, you know? So, I mean, I mean, they can torture him for a period of time without consequence because there's not in, enough immediate judicial uh, relief often available to people. And, but, you know, the, it, it's just absurd. It's just absurd. It just shows how nuts the system is. What they did, what is, what they did to some of the January 6th defendants when they were just waiting trial they appear to be redoing to Owen Troyer. They're on a misdemeanor case. No, it's um, the rules of habeas corpus. Can you not, can there, I mean, you're going to go get an emergency injunction or something, but who oversees the decision of the, of the prison? I mean, the, the Bureau of Prisons themselves. I mean, I mean, that's the problem. And usually they say, if you go to court, oh, you have to exhaust your administrative remedies first. So, I mean, I mean, the problem is that isn't a remedy in this instance. So, you know, we're going to look into whether or not there's something else that can short circuit the process. Uh, but you'd have to get the right. You have to get lucky with a judge who actually cares. Uh, but it's clear violation. And it, it makes an embarrassment of that judge in D.C. That, you know, this is what, you know, the uh, I'm sure those judges assumed that it was not, you know, 60 days wouldn't be a big deal. Uh, didn't know that, you know, he was going to be subject to effectively what has been described by International Human Rights Organization the conditions of solitary confinement for longer than two days in the United States has been described under those terms as torture, legally as torture in violation of international law. Be, and that's the class action suit we talked about recently mm -hmm. that you, know, you in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, the problem is too many people on the right have not cared about inmates. They, they forget. I mean, our founders cared about them because many of them went through it uh, in Tennessee after the Civil War is when they re really created some robust rights in the Tennessee Constitution. Why? Because many of the state legislators had dealt with the consequences of abusive authority and what, you know, the everybody's just getting a crash course in it. It's unfortunate that Owen has to be the te the example for all of it, but it shows how absurd it is when it's Owen Troyer. Right. That's somebody people know, a uh, young kid, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, an InfoWars host. But I mean, not a violent guy at all. No meaningful criminal history of any consequence. Uh, no, but the, Robert, uh, he, he he said something bad and and suggested a crisis actor in Sandy Hook at one point in time. Repeating, well, he, but he didn't. Uh, he was reporting on a zero hedge story. Mm -hmm. That's all he did. That's why they dropped him from the suit. They originally included him, and he and and but of course they had to drop it because all he did was here's what zero hedge is reporting, and he gave his analysis of what zero hedge was reporting that the that the politicization of the case has led to these kind of claims. He didn't support it or say he was for it at all. That's why they had to drop the claim against him. So, uh, I mean, but basically it's just because he's seen as a political opponent. And so they're going to torture him when they get the chance. Uh, any news on the demand of Twitter to reinstate him and take down the impersonating account? Elon is asleep at the wheel on these critical issues because the uh, uh, George Gammon, has, who pays money to Twitter for his account, still has had up. it has had it hacked, and somebody else has control of it. Uh, Mark Moss 
same thing. Uh, Owen Troyer uh, has never had his account reinstated, so someone else pretended to be him and stole his account. So there's a subpoena out to Twitter demanding to find his. Uh, the federal judge agreed with us that we're entitled to find out who this person is because Good. he's violating the law. And it's, uh, I won't pull it up. It's a verified account. So if, uh, the Owen Schroyer impersonating account is verified, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's a blue so check mark. And that's why people think it's uh, that person. And he can mislead. He can lie. He can defame. He can invade privacy. He can steal money. He's, he's stealing property rights, name, image, and likeness. Um, so all of that is at issue. And here, Elon's out there trying to pitch to everybody, wouldn't it be great if Twitter was your bank account? when he can't even fix hacked accounts of paying subscribers, when he can't even stop people from stealing accounts. So, Elon, before you worry about Twitter being a bank account, how about you fix that? That should be a basic thing to fix. Restore George Gammon's account. Restore Mark Moss's account. Restore Owen Schroyer's account. Take down the fake account. At least prove you can do that, or nobody's going to want to put their money with you. Uh, when they, when they, the blue check mark certification for seven bucks a month, I said at the time, it's not a question of clout. It's only a question of impersonation and the problems it can get into. But Robert, have you seen this? This is the, uh, the, uh, you, you look at this and tell me you think you know offhand that it's an impersonation account or uh, sorry, it's a parody account. This is new. I haven't, this is new definitely since the last time I looked at it. Delete me. The joke worked. Time to move on to S next joke, jo joke. But even um, that. I mean, if, if he put in there, this is a parody account, this is not actually Owen Troy, he still refuses to do that. You know, the, he, he's now being sued. He, he's going to be outed. He's going to have to pay damages when all he had to do was uh, to take down the account or at least make clear this is a parody account, fake account. This is not Owen Troy. He re refused to do it. And Twitter lets him get away with it. And Twitter's litigation response to people whose accounts get hacked has been... Go back through the process by which you got hacked. Yeah, that, that's that's it, that's unbelievable. You're like, what? don't you understand that? That's what got hacked. Like Twitter keeps saying, do the two-factor authentication. Don't, because if you do, that's how your account gets gets hacked, and you can never get it back. Oh, um, Moose Tree eighty seven said, any update on the Eastman case? Now we saw Eastman. No, hold on, Eastman is not. We saw Jeffrey Clark at Mar-a-Lago. So some of these people, I, I know that I know them, but I have never met them in person. And when we meet in person, everybody looks a little bit different in real life than they do on the internet. Oh, hey, Devin Nunes is a big fan. Uh, the, I, uh, I, I, I was going to talk with him. And I was like, you know, I was like, hey, how you doing, Devin? Da -da -da. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a real big fan of Viva. I was like, hey, I, oh, yeah, you know, I, I talked to him a little bit longer. And he said, man, I'm a real big fan of this guy. <laughs> I have... I have no ego, but it's it's nice when someone you could see it in someone's eyes when they're when they're sincere and like it was nice. I met Nunes. I'm a big fan of Nunes, uh, and we met in person. It's 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 fantastic. Although we met, I forget where we met the first time. Uh, any update on the Eastman case though? Like what, what what's the yeah? Status Rachel of it Alexander is the person to follow. We interviewed mm -hmm. her. She's the Arizona yep. lawyer. Went through also all kinds of insanity from the Arizona judicial corruption that's there uh, and the bar corruption that's there. And she has been following in detail the John Eastman case and posting uh, both on uh, X slash Twitter, whatever, one want, whatever you want to call it, and on other uh, sites, uh, giving people detailed updates of the East. Eastman has handled himself exceptionally well. It's another corrupt hack fake judge. This is one of those, you know, administrators they call judges that I'm not a big fan of. I'm not a fan of such. They shouldn't be called judges. If you're not constitutionally appointed or elected, you're not a judge. You're an administrator, a hearing examiner. Use the proper language. Don't call them your honor. You're not a your honor. 
Um, though I'll tell you, the that was one thing I learned from the tribal court. The when they were trying to imitate Western case, I was there as the clerk for a summer to help them integrate their tribal traditions with Western American traditions, because a lot of people before their court would be disputes between tribal members and non-tribal members. Uh, but what's interesting is tribal members reactions. Like one was like most courts, you have an elevated judge, right? The judge is physically placed above the litigants. Tribal members were like, what is that? What are you doing up there? You should be down here equal with us. You don't need to be up there. And I was like, man, there's a lot of truth to that. The other was your honor. What do you mean your honor? Uh, yeah, uh, we know each other. Why am I calling you your honor? What is that nonsense about? Elders don't say your honor. Uh, and uh, you know, there was a lot of insights in that process. But these administrative judges, they should be called hearing examiners, something else. They're not constitutionally appointed judges. It miss, uh, it's like ex-judges who become arbitrators mm -hmm. and mediators. By ethical rule, you're not supposed to call them judges. But try not calling them judges. You know, you know, they get agitated quick. Uh, and it's like you're not. And what it does, it misleads ordinary people. Because you'll have pro se people in the middle of this. Ordinary, everyday people. That how are they supposed to know this person's not a constitutionally appointed judge? But when your own their own lawyer or the judge person themselves calls themselves judge, no. Now you're Mister and Mrs. or Miss. You're no longer judge. You're not. You know the. But it's just part of the pattern. But the 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 Eastman trial, the 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 hearing examiner is a crock and an embarrassment, a partisan hack who's tried to influence the entire proceeding. It's an utterly frivolous case being brought against him. It's an embarrassment to the State Bar of California, the same State Bar that covered up for a long time the corruption and criminality and fraud of Michael Avenatti, that covered up the criminality and fraud of Tom Girardi, uh, that covered up the criminal... I know personal cases where they refused to get involved with people who were found guilty by juries, uh, and yet they still refused to take action. And here you have Eastman, who no client has ever complained against, ever who no court has sanctioned ever being subject to a disbarment proceeding merely because he gave advice on the constitutionality of an election. Uh, look, I, this might be the segue. It's not in the order, Robert, but we, we'll go here anyhow. Um, I was going to play the Fannie Willis daily update, but I'll, I'll save that for tomorrow. Uh, this was in, uh, where is this? Connecticut. Judge orders the new Bridgeport mayoral primary after surveillance video shows possible ballot stuffing. Possible. What they've showed in this case is nothing less, nothing more than what Dinesh D'Souza revealed in 2000 Mules. And, and the way they describe it, a state judge has taken the unusual step of ordering a new Democratic mayoral primary in Connecticut's largest city to be held on November 7, general election, yeah, yeah. The decision comes after surveillance video showed a woman stuffing what appeared to be absentee ballots into an outdoor ballot box days before the original primary. Robert, am I mistaken? We can, you, everybody can read it a little more if they want to. Am I mistaken, or is that not exactly what Dinesh D'Souza's 2000 Mules revealed of 2020? It's exactly the same. So, I mean, the, uh, I may put up the ruling. Uh, I wasn't able to highlight it because of the way the ruling was published, but uh, still put it up at the uh, vivabarnslaw.locals.com board uh, as part of the Barnes Law School series because it goes through all the things that we talked about back in 2020. This was a judge that just applied the standard I talked about back then which was there's chain of custody requirements for ballots in terms of who sends them, how it's certified that they were sent, uh, who who requests its receipt, 
how that was done. Then there's requirements about the chain of custody of the return of that ballot, how the ballot is signed and whose presence it is signed, who signs the ballot, how it is delivered back to the uh, officer, who delivers it back to the election officer. And what happened in 2020 is those protocols and procedures were routinely and regularly violated in all of the key swing states and other states as well. And what happened here is that, uh, like, for example, there was no allegation that these votes were themselves fraud. And what did the judge make clear throughout the hearing? What I talked about throughout 2020, which was you don't have to prove fraud, that we have presumptions that an election was invalid if we have doubts about who actually voted for who. And if the election rules are violated in a substantial manner, we presume that those ballots don't count. And if the number of those ballots exceeds the margin of victory, the appropriate remedy is always a new election. Now, you have an argument in the presidential context that maybe it should have gone to the House of Representatives uh, because of the unique issues related to the presidency. But putting that part aside, the rest is exactly what, and the judge articulates every single thing by law and fact that I talked about 2020. And he just did what was, every judge should have done in 2020, but refused to do, which was, again, you don't cite whether there's fraud. It's only, was the ballot sent in the proper manner? Was the ballot received by the proper person? Was it signed by the proper person? Was it signed without other people being present in such a way that could lead to questions of blackmail or coercion or anything else? And was it delivered back in the proper manner? And what you had was problems at every single stage, most egregiously substantiated by the fact that in Connecticut, a person who was not within a limited category could not deliver ballots to the drop boxes. And what you had were mules, including city employees doing it. And these city employees, by the way, took the Fifth Amendment rather than test rather than testify specifically at trial. I'll just read this for the podcast later. This is from the article in NBC. So, you know, it's got to be true. The quote, the video evidence exhibits and testimony prove election fraud on a scale not seen in Connecticut or anywhere else in the country. <clears throat> 2020 in recent history. Not only does the record prove election tampering, it was caught on video. Gomez lawyer had written in a legal brief. They noted Gomez identified, quote, multiple violations and quote of absentee ballot violations, including, quote, hundreds of absentee ballots and quote, cast by, quote, party operatives, end quote, which show the reliability of the primary results to be, quote, seriously in doubt. And then it goes on. Um, it's almost like, like Parkinson's law of mundanity says that like you know the people at, a, at an office can talk about where to put the water cooler for 20 minutes but how to maximize shareholder value five minutes because one is a easy problem that everyone can have an opinion on the other one's complicated nobody wants to say anything so they just pass over it it's almost like okay well a presidential election it's such a big flipping deal when you have these problems you can't address it without undermining the entire system but uh whatever a lowly mayoral thing in connecticut there you can address it and there you can say even though these these are identical circumstances, you know, by and large, can't address it at the presidential scale, but can address it at the mayoral scale. Um, uh, I don't know where, where that thought was going. What happens? Uh, so they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna call a new election. They don't have the date for it yet, but this is basically what happened during twenty twenty. Yep. All right. And shows what the remedy should have been, or that some remedy should have been given. Black pill and right there, Robert. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, when you have a low-key mayor's race, they're willing to follow the law. When it was the president of the United States, they weren't. Do we do these Second Amendments now? 
Well, I think uh, a bridge to the Second Amendment cases is one that overlaps with the Trump cases and these other politically oriented cases, which is the First Amendment uh, NRA case that concerns speech about the Second Amendment. You might have to say what you're talking about there, because I'm not sure I can do this one. <laughs> so the Supreme Court has taken uh, the case, and this is the NRA had sued the uh, state officials in New York for attempting to effectively bankrupt the NRA, led later to NRA bankruptcy proceedings. But the part of what, what happened was the New York commissioners involved decided that their authority over reputational risk which is kind of nonsense to begin with. What happened was New York officials got elected promising to take out the NRA. When they got there, they started threatening banks and insurance companies. You better no, do no business with the NRA. You better cut off all business with the NRA. Uh, because if you continue to do business with the NRA, you have a reputational risk uh, that we will, uh, our regulatory authority says is endangering the security of the deposits uh, see, uh, or your customers and clients. The... Uh, so the NRA sued, said this is selective prosecution. This is First Amendment violation. This is coercion and, and politically motivated. There's no doubt that it was politically motivated, frankly. But And, and the district court recognized that parts of it were clearly politically motivated and allowed th that case to pr progress. But the Second Circuit stepped in and said, no, no, the Second Circuit that hates the NRA and gun issues, gun rights claims, said that, no, that this didn't over, this didn't, this was just, uh, persuasive, but not coercive speech, right? This is where the government has the right to make its own speech, but it's not uh, to threaten coercion at any level, right? This is the Biden administration's defense in the social media cases. Oh, well, we weren't coercing anybody. We were just speaking our own mind. Not what, that isn't what happened here. They were threatening, and in fact, in certain cases, stopped collateral investigations about other issues into certain companies as long as they punish the NRA. So, I mean, they, they weaponize, they said they would weaponize the state power if they didn't do what they wanted to punish their political opponents. And then in fact, in certain instances, they did in fact do so. And so the Supreme Court has taken up the case and it relates to everything New York has been doing because if they couldn't go after the NRA the way they did, they sure as heck couldn't go after Trump the way they did. So this is a case that has potential consequences for that New York case and maybe broader cases, because they could establish, uh, and maybe the Biden social media case, that that they've got to stop these uh, weaponization of, of this political lawfare, as Trump called it, uh, by these state actors looking to use their state weapons uh, to punish and penalize the speech they don't like, disguised as regulatory guidance about reputational risk. It's unbelievable. And then once you see the way that they've weaponized, once they give the warning and they've gone after violators, oh, OK, fine. You didn't listen to us. Well, now you get audited. Now you're going to have uh, any number of other government intrusions, a la what, you know, Elon Musk might be experiencing in terms of um, what he's doing on Twitter might be you know, leading to other company government intrusion. OK, that's interesting. So they take it up. Uh, what's the Supreme Court's uh, season now? It, all of the decisions, so all these decisions will be made by June, by June 2024. Four. So before Depending. the election. OK. All right. And so, I mean, I take it as a good sign they took it because I don't think they're going to affirm the Second Circuit. And, and, and it would be it could take a big step in the right direction 
towards limiting this abuse of regulatory power that's taken place. Many people filed, including gun owners of America and others, amicus exposing the absurdity of what was taking place here and how this never should have been judicially approved or apologized for in the first instance. All right, so that leads us into the First Amendment cases. Uh, the, the one I'm more familiar with is in California on the concealed carry permits. Um, in terms of making it exceedingly difficult or regulating the ability to conceal carry, you got to get into the historical... open carry. Just open, carry I'm sorry, experience. it was open carry. Though. The concealed carry was a f- <laughs> um, open carry. And then they, they get into the historical interpretation argument, which is that which was set out in Bruin. And I think that's the confusing part for lay people or Canadians like myself. You, they, they want you to interpret it based on the uh, culture at the time, to, you know, for lack of a better word. What was the tendency then? Was it intended that you would have the right to open carry? I assume that at the time, everyone everywhere had the right to open carry. So how do you even get into any sort of restrictions on open carry? Well, yeah, I mean, the what, what's happened in California is that even in counties that don't prohibit open carry, they never give you, they never give anybody a license. And this was the case where the district court ignored whether they were likely to succeed on the merits and still denied the injunction. And the Ninth Circuit said, no, you can't do that. You have to always value the likelihood of the merits. Um, Because there's an Obama judge that doesn't want to give any relief. So she's now rehearing, okay, what's the likelihood on the merits? And the argument, the evidence is overwhelmingly uh, post-Bruin in favor of the the, uh, the plaintiffs. That this complete ban and never licensing uh, people, even in counties where they could otherwise do so. Most of the counties you can't in California. Um, is not something that has any historical analog. That there never was, just like the Bruin decision about the licensing regime in New York, that there was no law mass prohibiting uh, people from being able to carry their weapon in public. You know, they, they might have said you could do concealed or open. You don't have to do both. But the idea that you could just effectively completely prohibit it, which is effectively what California does, uh, it doesn't meet the Bruin standards. So it's just the latest case to challenge California's uh, crazy laws on guns that will require adjudication. Now, a case that will have ramifications for that is the case that the Supreme Court has taken up on the Second Amendment. Is that the bump stock one? Uh, well, two of There's bump stock, but that's going to be the ATF rule and federal law. The bigger one is the Rahimi one, the domestic violence one. Okay, Robert, if you may um, elaborate on that one. <laughs> So they passed in the mid-90s the Violence Against Women's Act, uh, a Women Act, and, and within it, they made it a, f- a federal crime if you are the recipient of an order of protection to have a gun. Uh, it, was, it was always a bad idea. Uh, it was a gun nuts sticking in something that was otherwise a very effective remedy for people in emergency situations involved with domestic violence. So I, I did a lot. I was one of the first lawyers to implement that in early uh, 2001, 2002, 2003, uh, called orders of protection, you know, sometimes called other things in other states, uh, to protect victims of abuse or violence, uh, to be able to get out of that situation. I ran into a problem in rural counties in Tennessee where judges were refusing to do them in mass because of the Second Amendment implications. I was unaware of it until I started doing the cases and then found out that it all it magically converted you into a criminal, federal criminal, 
15 years in federal prison if you kept a gun after you received an order of protection. So an uh, order of protection can be broad. You don't have to find violence, for example. I mean, various, you can have stalking, you can have harassment, you can have, there's a lot of things that constitute domestic abuse. It can be broad within the family context of what that does. And so what was a very effective remedy was getting negated by this Second Amendment violating provision within it. But they've continued to use it. And the Biden administration has escalated the number of prosecutions of anybody subject to an order of protection loses all their Second Amendment rights. And this case came out of the Western District of Texas very well. This uh, brief I have highlighted and will be putting up at the at vivabarnslaw.locals.com um, because what it impacts, it's, it's, it's the Federal Public Defender's Office, to their credit, including the one there in Austin, really did a good job, robust uh, Second Amendment defense, which you don't normally see from the Public Defender's Office, to be honest. Uh, very good because, again, it does the historical analog. This is what the Biden administration is claiming. They're claiming Congress can unilaterally remove from the definition of the people portion of the Second Amendment who is included. And you know what cases they cite for that? Their historical analogs? Well, look at all the times different governments across America have discriminated against politically disfavored groups. So they said, look here, they excluded blacks from having it. They excluded slaves from having it. They excluded immigrants from having it. They excluded Catholics from having it. So they're actually saying, look at this wonderful history of bigotry. And let's say that gave us that constitutionally changed the Second Amendment to say that whenever somebody is part of a politically disfavored minority, the, the Congress can unilaterally strip them of all Second Amendment rights because this guy's facing federal prison up to 15 years because he had a gun in his own home. Well, the, the, and, the, and on the order of protection, he'd agreed to it, by the way. You often get people to agree to him. Because it's it's a way to resolve the dispute and move on, not knowing they're forfeiting their Second Amendment rights in the process. The argument, though, will be that the, the, the correlation between religion and race and the prohibition versus restraining orders in, in marriage, there is a logical connection between the potential for violence in the one on the latter, but not on the former. So they, well, they could draw it, some it rational matter. connection. I mean, oh, but but that's but that's not the historic. That's the problem they have. Right. And it was, they're saying there's a historical analog that they can declare certain people unprotected. Mm -hmm. But all of their examples were not based on potential violence. All of their examples were based on politically disfavored groups just being stripped of their rights. And, and as the uh, public defender made clear that if you really dig into it, it's people who are not considered part of the people because they weren't citizens. So they were immigrants or they were uh, uh, as slaves or ex-slave that for whatever reason, they did not have citizenship rights at the time. Uh, and that to the uh, to the degree they had ones that did apply to citizens, those were always unconstitutional provisions because they, it was, they, they don't have any example in uh, anywhere in the relevant time period where because some legislative body thought you were potentially dangerous they could take away all your Second Amendment rights because, in fact, that would be the exact opposite of how the Second Amendment came about, which was the king wanting to disarm the people wanting to do the rebellion and the revolution. So that's who it was the Second Amendment protected, was to make sure the state could never disarm the potential revol revolutionaries and rebels. So it would make no sense that there's a potentially dangerous exception to the Second Amendment, or that Congress has any business or any power or any prerogative to so declare. 
So that unless someone has been convicted of a crime, and even there, courts are second guessing whether though that whether that federal law about being a felon in possession is itself constitutional, that's going to be subject to its own restrictions, the uh, its own challenges, and multiple courts have already ruled it's not constitutional uh, in many contexts. And there's one place where Barrett has been good. She she suggested that when she was on the Seventh Circuit. So the Supreme Court's taking up the case, and what the gun nuts are banking on is the label domestic violence. Uh, oh, hey, this is, you know, you, you, you want to arm people who have been found guilty of domestic violence. That, of course, is not true. Someone who has agreed to an order of protection doesn't have to have had even a hearing, doesn't even have to have had any judicial finding uh, that they did anything violent or that they had any threat or danger of violence. Uh, again, domestic abuse is a much broader category. It may be people who never committed people who have been convicted and sent to prison for owning a gun where the, it was admitted the order of protection either was based on inaccurate allegations or nothing of violence at all occurred, mm -hmm. according to the claimant in those cases. So the idea that this even is limited to dangerousness is not true. But even if it were, Congress has no business saying we're going to declare these groups of people potentially dangerous and thereby strip them of their Second Amendment rights any more than they can say they're potentially dangerous and strip them of their First Amendment rights. And he and he put that analog through all the way through in a really, really well-crafted uh, brief for the Supreme Court. And the consequence of this, by the way, for folks out there is if the Supreme Court rules the way it should, that'll be the open question, will the political nature of domestic abuse allegations make them go blind when it comes to the Second Amendment. But if it doesn't, this also would probably constitutionally invalidate all red flag laws in America. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a more complicated question. I want to find out the bump stock, how bump stock works. I, I'm trying to find a video so that we can play this. Okay, so the, the Supreme Court's going to hear this as to whether or not, uh, I don't want to say a restraining order, but whether or not that can serve as the basis whether it, for Whether this federal crime is constitutional. And it's not. It, it violates the Second Amendment on its face. And if they say otherwise, there's now a massive gaping hole in Second Amendment protection. The historical context, like I, I'm just if we're getting back to the California licensing for for open carry, uh, like back in the Wild West, bars could say or, or taverns could say no guns allowed. I, I presume yeah, sure. that's a private, private, private. Instance. Like, how did they get to the point where schools and certain venues can say legally? Because I don't think that's well, an what issue. The, what the Supreme Court said is in certain sensitive places, you can have uh, uh, restrictions on gun presence in those places, but that there are limits to that. Like they pointed out in New York, New York was trying to call the whole state a sensitive place. Right. So the but how they had abused that law. They, the whole all of New York City was somehow a sensitive place. So that that's not, uh, you know, they've said that has historical analog, that there were limitations on where you could carry a gun in very limited settings, but not something universal, not something beyond something that was distinct to that place or location. Okay. And that's where the uh, can go. But yeah, the, the other case they took up is the ATF rule on bump stocks. All right. I'm still trying to figure out a bump stock. It's a device that you can attach to a firearm to make it fire more rapidly. They were banned in the wake of the Vegas shooting by Trump. So people, um, you know, want to blame him for that. And um, okay. So and, and yeah, they're it was gonna... a mistake by Trump. He capitulated to the, to the gun uh, folks in response to Vegas. It, it does not turn a regular 
firearm into a machine gun. It, 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 it's still well, and, and this is, I mean, you could argue about whether Congress ever had the authority to ban machine guns in the first place. But putting that aside, a the machine gun has always had the same congressional definition, and until they reversed themselves on bump stocks, had the same ATF definition, which was it that with a single pulling of the trigger, it automatically fires multiple shots. Mm-hmm. It's not what a bump stock does. It requires continuous human interaction for the shots to continue. So it accelerates the speed at which that can take place, but it does not change the fact there has to be constant, continuous human intervention for more than one bullet to come out of the gun. So because of that, they had recognized for a long time that there was, there was a first version, kind of, uh, someone who invented something that became later, about the bump stock became a version of, that actually had a mechanical tool that actually allowed it to be automatic. That, they said, was a machine gun. So they removed that from future bump stocks, and so it was no longer automatic, and you had to do something continuously as it, uh, to cause it to continue to fire. Uh, and, in fact, there's ways to do bump firing without a bump stock. Uh, it just requires certain kinds of training and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, uh, the eight, Trump's capitulation uh, was unconstitutional from day one, uh, in my view, uh, but also it was inconsistent to the statute. The statute did only banned machine guns, which are automatic fire upon a single and machine guns made after a certain time frame after 1986. So the what this also did, uh, you have over a half a million bump stocks out there. Uh, 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 maybe that's even on an annualized basis. I forget. But you're talking about tens or hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in, in people who are, are now all of a sudden it's a crime for them to have. So the, their property is being stripped from them. And it's now criminal for them to have property that they bought before this rule even came into place. And so, and a bunch of businesses are also being pushed out of business. So problem one is it, it, it simply isn't a machine gun under the statute. Problem two is the ATF had no business uh, passing this law in the first place. I mean, I mean, they're, they're not in the legislation business. This is part of the Chevron deference administrative state octopus that has consumed our constitutional republic or democracy. Take your pick. Uh, but whatever it is, it's neither Republican nor Democratic in the old traditional uh, meaning of those words, the nonpartisan meaning of those words uh, for this to happen. And so the, uh, the the ATF by itself had recognized this for almost 20 years. And so they, they don't have the authority to do what they claim to do. So the uh, the Court of Appeals recognized that uh, on Bonk and, and overwhelmingly ruled that this couldn't be a machine gun. They said if it could be considered a machine gun, then the legis- the law is clearly vague and ambiguous. And if it's vague and ambiguous, the rule of lenity comes in because, again, it's a crime to have this. And so the rule of lenity says that in any criminal case, you have to interpret the law in case of ambiguity against the government and in favor of the individual. And so they said, OK, even if you could somehow take the statute to mean it applies in ways that it doesn't apply to us. If it's that vague, that ambiguous, the rule of lenity says you can't interpret it that way. Uh, so, and that's what overwhelmingly the fifth circuit said, Supreme court has taken the case. You're always worried a little bit because there's a lot of wusses up there. Uh, but to me, it's quite clear bumps. The ATF didn't have this authority in the first place, but they're going to say the argument is going to be, this doesn't impact the second amendment except as much as relates well, and, to accessories. And they're not focused on the Second Amendment aspect. They're focused okay. on the statutory interpretation and on regulatory agency authority. Okay. And the court doesn't need to reach. Uh, the constitutional component here is the Fifth Amendment due process and rule of lenity. 
And um, but it's against the backdrop of the Second Amendment. I don't think Congress had the authority to ban machine guns. So. And and what's the uh, the hush hush explanation for why the ATF flip flopped on this? Oh, Trump ordered him to. I mean, okay. that's it. I mean, I mean, I mean, Trump just uh, politically wanted to push down the uh, uh, the attacks on him uh, concerning the Vegas incident, and so he adopted this because bump stocks were allegedly used by the shooter in Vegas. I like the word allegedly, Robert. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't. Uh, we still don't know what really happened. Well, ne- and we w- we never will. The case has been closed. It's done. All right. What are we moving on to here? The other, the last Second Amendment case pending before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals is the attempt of New York to recreate public nuisance laws to effectively sue gun manufacturers into oblivion, despite federal law that prohibits them from doing precisely that. Um, so what? Uh, that's the PLCAA has a preemption clause. It was passed. The state of New York, in particular, was trying to sue gun manufacturers into oblivion. So Congress, uh, based on novel application of law, not traditional application of law. So Congress said, no, you can't do that. And said that any gun in interstate commerce, uh, many manufacturer distributor cannot be sued for what a third party does with that, with that gun outside of limited uh, exemptions or circumstances. One of the exemptions was pre-existing law that like, uh, for example, if there was a record keeping requirement law and a manufacturer distributor knowingly violated that law, and that knowing violation of the law then caused the injury, then you could still sue for that. That was all. Well, the state of New York came in and pretended that exemption allowed them to pass a new law that made public nuisance law now applicable specifically to gun manufacturers and distributors. And they're, they're so obvious in what they did, they limited their law to the same language used in the federal law, so it doesn't even apply to guns made and distributed solely in New York. It applies only to guns in, uh, uh, distributed and made in interstate commerce. And it holds the gun manufacturer liable if they don't have reasonable provisions to make sure someone never misuses a gun. Which it's like, they don't even define what the heck that even means. So the challenge is on Second Amendment grounds, the challenge is on due process grounds, the challenge is on uh, commerce clause grounds, because the law violates all of them in what they're trying to do in New York. But the, the new public nuisance laws presumably originally were intended to deal with punctual um, issues that arose from uh, specific acts, not long-term policy decisions. I mean, is, how, have, how has public nuisance laws been exploited to the point where now it's, it's used to go after the long-term political consequences of decisions? Well, it's, it's probably not a coincidence that a lot of these cases are going up to the court food chain from either New York or California. It's them weaponizing everything, everything available to them and using them in ways that have never been used before uh, and just relying upon judicial complicity to get away with it. Like the district court somehow pretended they could, that the state could just, any state could just gut the federal law anytime they wanted by just passing a new law. It's like, that makes no sense at all. Well, why did, the, why did Congress pass the law? But the fact that they were kind of so, whether sloppy or deliberately targeting interstate commerce means that they, they're only burdening interstate commerce. They're also criminally punishing and civilly punishing uh, things that don't even happen within their state, which has been outside their jurisdiction for forever. So, the, uh, so you have multiple due process and commerce clause issues along with uh, 
federal preemption issues present in this particular case. Does this segue into the teacher that got shot by a six-year-old kid, Robert? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, there um, the question was whether workers' comp covered the case. Well, <laughs> the reason why that's consequential is workers' comp dramatically limits your available recovery. Well, I'll bring it up to show the three conditions that need to be met in order for um, a, a teacher to be barred from suing or, or claiming damages for this. I, the, the fact pattern of this case is mind-blowing. It's a six-year-old kid displaying such radical behavioral disorders in class that that should be enough of a red flag, you know, pun intended for everybody. The kid hates this teacher, apparently comes into class with the gun from his mother and shoots the teacher through the hand into the chest, collapsing a lung. And then the teacher uh, sues the school for damages. And they say that her claim is limited to workman's comp. Hold on one second. Uh, that's not the right case. That's not the right case. Here we go. The Virginia teacher. I was said, I want to bring this part up right here. Um, Virginia's Workman Compensation Act barred Zwerdner's personal injury claim. This is the argument. The act states that for a claim to be barred by the provision depends on whether the injury was an injury by accident, an injury within the course of an employment, or an injury that arises out of the injured person's employment. Got to satisfy all three. And the judge said, it's not reasonably to be expected from a, a teacher for six-year-olds that you get shot at school. This is not a 7-Eleven clerk. And they said that the motion to dismiss, I guess, fails. The claim proceeds. Um, this is it's it's wild. But what, what, what's your take on it? So this goes way back to our workers' comp laws, which uh, were passed and have been upheld as constitutional. I've always had some doubts about it. But the what was happening initially is workers would be injured on the job as industrialization and railroads took over uh, large parts of the American economy. And employers were asserting a wide range of defenses to these cases, including like assumption of risk and things like that, so that employers could be employees could get hurt and get no remedy at all. And in uh, and then in some cases, courts were finding remedies, and there the employer employers didn't like the remedies being issued. So the compromise was workers' comp, which says that fault isn't an issue. Doesn't matter if you're at fault or anyone else; it's no fault. And the uh, and you, but you it limits how much you can recover, number one. And two, you lose your right to sue. So you can no longer bring a tort claim if you're part of the workers' comp universe. The question has always been, if an injury happens at work, is it by definition covered by workers' comp? Certain kinds of intentional injuries by the employer have not been included within workers' comp. Uh, and then the other one is, is, but here you have, it happened to her while she was at work, so it was during her scope of employment, but was it within, was, was the risk, the kind of risk workers' comp is meant to cover? Mm -hmm. And workers' comp is only meant to cover those accidents that occur at work. Uh, here it could be considered an accident because the employer didn't do it. If the employer did it, then it could be considered intentional. And you may have independent separate remedies uh, from workers' comp, but you may also be able to use workers' comp depending on the circumstances. But on the... Uh, uh, other side of the, uh, that's how it can, in the vaccine injury context, you may be able to have a worker's comp claim and you may be able to go outside of worker's comp because it's of the intentionality of the employer. But when it's a third party that caused it in the course and scope of employment, then you get a, a lot of cases, because you get cases that go both ways on this about scope and course of employment. And frequently they've found assault and abuse cases outside of the scope of employment when they want to help employers dodge liability. Here, you had the plaintiff wanting to say it's outside it because it would increase her recovery. 
And the the what I think they ruled correctly was the risk that the accident has to be within the anticipated course of employment. In other words, it has to. This, they're borrowing a little bit of old assumption of risk principles, which is that only some a risk that you assumed as an employee would be a risk that workers comp exclusively compensates for. And they said being shot on the job as a teacher of six of six year olds, not not yeah. high school. I mean, maybe if you it would were, have been and, different. And out, there are other places where assaults had been covered, but they said there were incidents that more net, you know, someone take transporting money, you know, getting yeah, robbed. A, a prison guard. I mean, that would be a, a, a prison a guard. You can see a police police officer. Maybe you get shot in the course of duty. That might be within the risk. But a teacher being shot by a six year old is most likely not within that risk. And the court correctly ruled that. I, it was, I was just blown away by the fact pattern. The, the six-year-old did it on purpose, calculated. Uh, the mother, I think the kid was taken away from the mother for child neglect and lived with the great-grandfather, which is another amazing fact pattern to the story. All right, well, at least there might be justice for this teacher who suffered a collapsed lung and I imagine some severe trauma. So, uh, I th- Robert, I found the tweet. Hold on. I found the tweet from this is what people were running with on the Internet. They don't understand anything. Elon Musk's genius once again exposed, quote, no investigation into SBF, end quote, said Elon Musk in 2022, except that SBF was actually investigated and found guilty of fraud on all charges after a criminal trial. I now see why Elon Musk is. I don't want to pick on this guy, Sakatek. There's a number of people who are tweeting this out thinking it's an own. And they're not understanding that they are the ones getting owned. Yeah. Oh, he got convicted. There was no investigation. And we don't know jack squat about the actual material part of this trial. So, Robert. Well, and in fact, it, with the, uh, what Musk pointed out, what uh, uh, several others pointed out on social media, is that the, the government had been covering for SBF. The media had been covering for SBF. The politicians had been covering for SBF. This was the ne- probably, arguably... Uh, the principal person responsible for the election of Joe Biden, the biggest, either the biggest or the second biggest direct or indirect contributor to the Democratic Party. Um, and all of them, you know, buddies with the SEC commissioner, buddies with the members of Congress that they made major donations to, buddies with the Biden administration, buddies with large members of the press that apologized for him, buddies with large members of the financial press that covered for him and endorsed him. It was crypto Twitter. That exposed them. That was Elon Musk's point. Was there was no official investigation. It was it was the crypto Twitter crowd that started to point out this guy looks like a fraud and start and prove the elements of it that forced the action of the feds to come in and prosecute him. Uh, but even then, they structured it so that the political nature of his activities would ultimately never see the public light of day. Uh, and he was found uh, guilty this past week in New York on all uh, conspiracy and fraud charges. Uh, not, you know, uh, not unsurprisingly, uh, his defense was, you know, was, Oops, my, was, for my first day. Yeah, he, <laughs> I was that, unprepared. That, that's and he had too many people testified against him. There was too much use of other people's money. Uh, and that combination doomed him uh, from from probably from day one. And only defense was, well, I thought the vague rules let me do it, but I never actually asked a lawyer for direct permission to do it. Well, just if I may get a prediction, how many years does he go to jail for? Oh, it's going to be a lot because the amount's big. Amount's like, big. It, the rest now, of his and, life? And or? There still may be appeal issues present. I mean, I don't like the fact that he was incarcerated uh, pending trial. I, I, I thought his bail was wrongly denied. 
I think that always adversely impacts your ability to prepare for your defense. Uh, you don't know if the government disclosed all pertinent material records, uh, so there may be exculpatory evidence that was hidden. Uh, there may have been other court rulings. The court seemed a little over, overtly hostile to them. Uh, so I think there are aspects of it that weren't the cleanest proceeding that might be subject to appellate review, but we won't know the full scale of those until an appeal is filed and the memorandum. You filed the notice of appeal early, but the actual briefing is done you know, months later. Uh, but I don't think, based on the facts, there was any doubt he was guilty. But the only reason he was ever exposed was crypto Twitter, not our government. Well, and, and not, to, not, not to fail to mention, I want to bring this one up. This is from, uh, yeah, January 6, 2020. Inside the secret of Silicon Valley group that has funneled over $20 million to Democrats. Mind the gap. Uh, I think Freed. Yeah, but this is his mother's. Yep. Uh, let me see if, let me see if S, get, get this out of here. Get, get, what am I doing? SBF. Oh, he's not in here. Sam. This is his mother. Oh, whatever. This is his mother's. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, his, his mother was helping run the big get, get out the vote operation, including all a lot of the mail voting that took place. I mean, so he was involved not only in direct contributions, but indirectly impacting and influencing the 2020 election outcome. Uh, and much in that part of the, uh, his his donation abuse uh, and criminal misconduct is Never forever heard. hidden because of the way in which the government uh, rushed the case so that it would be limited to that part never seeing the light of day. Rushed as in brought him over on the extradition and, Extradited charge, him on limited and, charges and thus and couldn't added, bring the other charges. Yeah, and they knew yeah. that by the way they structured the extradition. Absolutely. And they tried to add charges afterwards that they knew they couldn't bring. They got dismissed so that he only got char- He only got investigated on a small portion. He'll go to jail and see what happens to him after that. Um, what's the next one, Robert? Uh, speaking of uh, communist, uh, the National Communist Against Athletics, as Brian Bosworth famously cleric called the NCAA, has been sued again for its uh, monopolistic practices. The Supreme Court's already determined the NCAA violated antitrust laws. And this about the name, image, and likeness of individual players. It, so they should be legally entitled to the monetary profit from that themselves. But the NCAA tries to prohibit them from profiting from it. And, uh, and they try to use their amateurism as, a, as the excuse when really they just want to line their pockets with other people's labor. This is the one we, we talked about this a while back. This was this was using what's this one? Hold on, I'm gonna. So this is a new suit because uh, the NCAA is now uh, punishing players that have used NIL benefits, even in states where NIL was legal, and so they're prohibiting players from being eligible to play. And so another class action has been filed against them, based on their attempts to revitalize their antitrust behavior. Um, let me see this here. Hold on. This is the, I'll, I'll bring up one br- l- brief article on this. Uh, opponent states about money. Will the NCAA get a- antitrust exemption on what it could mean if it does? If the mission is to protect athletes, but that is na- not how the NCAA behaves. Uh, yeah, they're, they're protecting their own monetary interests of the institutions and the media and everyone else that rips off the players. Uh, you know, it's the players' labor that produces the value. And these are artificial wage caps that are imposed uh, by these folks to try to, under the, you know, the amateurist, all that stuff has always been garbage. I mean, I think we're the only country in the world that forces kids to participate at an amateur level before they can play professionally, uh, as is the case in, you know, uh, the uh, particularly with college football, you have to play so many years before you're eligible for the draft. Uh, but also, in, other, in you know, basketball and other sports, 
And it's just, you know, the, the kids are making the money. Nobody's watching the coach. Nobody's watching the school. Nobody's watching the brand. They're watching the players. They produce all this profit that they don't get to share in. They get a tiny piece of the, well, the people, oh, well, they get a scholarship. That, that's not worth anywhere near the value they contribute, particularly these big-time players. I mean, it's, really, it's, the other factor, it's, it's also a billion, big, it's wealth redistribution. It's a billion take, dollars, the, the, the market for the NCAA. Yeah, well, they, they take the money from this, and then they give it to sports nobody cares about. So they give it for women's sports and they give it for rich kids sports. You know, you know, the uh, uh, so those sports get state funding paid for by these athletes who get underpaid. And so the it, it's the but it, they the NCAA, because the Supreme Court's case was forced to allow NIL uh, name, image and likeness payments by universities set up in a certain way. But they've been playing games with it. And they escalated to this point where they're not allowing these kids uh, to even be eligible to play at Chicago State uh, because of their prior NIL profits. And it's it's uh, they're they're going to ultimately lose. I mean, the NCAA is just an anti ongoing antitrust violation uh, and shouldn't be allowed to do any of this activity. It's an artificial wage cap. That's what it is. It's monopolistic antitrust violations, Sherman Act. And uh, hopefully the uh, NCAA will be stopped with this case and forced to concede they have to go along with what the Supreme Court told them to do some years ago. Robert, there's one uh, super rumble rant here that I think we should read. Let me just pull it up. Okay, here it is. Uh, this is G-E-A-T-N. I'm a contractor in Virginia. I was sprayed with sulfuric acid, almost died, and was left a shell of who I am. Yet lawyer told me I couldn't sue because of workman's comp. I guess that depends on what type of work uh, Correct. Jeet, Jeet had. But there's a lot of confusion out there. A lot of lawyers assume if you got injured on the job, workers' comp is the only remedy. And that's often not the case. All right. Um, so what we got, do we, do we, are we heading over to Rumble, uh, to locals now, Robert? Yeah, well, we got two uh, uh, major, or two other uh, cases to uh, talk about. Uh, one is the... Uh, uh, well, or three, really. Uh, one is the morgue defamation case, which is kind of funny. Uh, the real, uh, the realtor commission case, well, that could have some big consequences in the real estate economy. And I have an update on the, what's happening in the vaccine mandate cases uh, across the country. So do, do, we'll do that here, and then we head over to locals, or do we do it at locals? Oh, we can do that over at locals. All right. So what we're going to do now? Let me see this here. Eight oh two. I'm going to give everyone the link to locals. VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com. I'm looking over here to make sure that there's not a typo in some of the tips that we're going to get to in a second. Uh, I'm going to give this to everybody here. I haven't heard that much screaming, but I've heard some screaming that has been distracting me somewhat. Come, come over to Locals, and we're going to finish the night up there, take the tips, uh, cover the last three subjects. Great fun this evening. Thanks, says Sefradin Squib. Duran, Duran. Robert, are you going back on the Duran soon, or were you just on the Duran just, recently? No. Uh, no, it's, it's whenever they uh, they want to do it uh, to uh, chat. All right, that was from Zandra Zandar eighty six. Okay, so we're gonna go over to locals, people. VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com. Robert, this week, what do you have coming up? Um, I, I think it. Uh, other than I, I got a bunch of briefs that are due this week, uh, mm-hmm. but the uh, including a Tyson Foods brief, the uh, several it, it turns out, but the. Uh, I don't think I'm appearing on any anything this week that I know of. There is, 
Round three of the RNC debate is in Miami, so I'm going to be down there on Wednesday. Uh, it'll be fun. It'll be phenomenally, fantastically interesting. VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com and everyone come over there. Uh, so tomorrow I'm going to be on with, um, oh, with Luke Rudkowski and Clint Russell. So that's going to be on their channel, six o'clock, seven o'clock, give or take. There's going to be some stuff. Wednesday night is going to be the debates. Let's, uh, we're going to carry this on over. At In Viva a week, Barzla. not this Wednesday, but a week from Wednesday, we'll have history uh, legends on. Uh, to discuss uh, a whole bunch of things. He has that great YouTube channel that breaks down all the different uh, war conflicts on, a, on an ongoing basis and a bunch of historical stuff that's cool. Well, you know, we'll end he's on He's from this. Montreal. I know he's from Montreal. But, Robert, we're going to end on this because now the, 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 the past has come to reality. They're calling for negotiations of a peace in Ukraine and Russia. How many hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have died in this war? Yeah, for no, I mean, they're starting to acknowledge what we talked about very early on, which was that the Ukrainian side was lying about the death count. Uh, but it, it's just devastating. There's just it's, cemetery after cemetery there. It's a, it was a waste of uh, life. That's it's 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 it, what was referred to as Putin apologism a year, two years ago is now reality. Just settle it, move on, because we've got another war to bilk, and that's in the Middle East. Yep. All right. Uh, we're going to end this on, how do I end this? Live stream, ending it on Rumble. Come over to vivabarnslaw.locals.com. This will be on podcast tomorrow. Clips are going to be on Rumble. And uh, that's it. Everybody, see you tomorrow. If you're not coming over to vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Okay. Robert, we're, I think we're good on, hold on. What am I looking at here? I'm looking at something that's not in the backdrop. I'm going to go to the tips. We'll do the tips. And then we're going to get into the last uh Oh, crap. There's a lot going up here. Load more messages. No way. We're going all the way up. Isaac David Waxman says, putting this one early with a tip. Robert Barnes, thoughts on Gaza and international law. My understanding is that civilian populations are only provided protection from hostile action on the condition that the civilian areas are 100% civilian. This means no rockets, no Hamas, no armed men, no tunnels, no munitions storage. Is this true? If true, why does the UN and the press keep up the well, like condemning Israel for the military for justified military action? What can Israel do to improve international PR? Thanks. So, I mean, international law to the degree there is kind of a law. And I mean, the uh, international law is really customs and practices. You have conventions and treaties that countries and nations have signed on to. But beyond that, you have just customs and practices over time. And it's so it's not quite law in the way that. Uh, we might enforce it otherwise. Now you have what's called just Kogan's principles, uh, which can be enforceable. But, you know, one of those just Co Co Kogan's principles used to be the Nuremberg Code, which our federal courts have decided they're not going to enforce in the vaccine context. So you never know what gets enforced. But the general principle of military conflict is that if you have a military purpose, the military action has to be proportional to that military purpose even if you know there's a substantial risk of civilian deaths or injury. So that's it's not proportional to, you know, it can be five people, it can be 10 people. It's not like that. It's proportional to the military objective. That's, uh, that's how it's weighted under international customs of, of military conflict. So it's not whether or not the civilians are 100% civilian or not. It's if there's a military target there, namely Hamas, uh, but it goes beyond that. Uh, I'm, I'm not in favor of these principles, but they have adopted the principles, mostly advanced, frankly, by the United States in the modern era, 
which is that civilian infrastructure can also be targeted as long as it has, quote, dual use. Uh, this is how you, know, you can bomb power plants, bridges, everything else. Pipelines. And I get it. It's just a little, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so the the as long as depending on what you know Israel is doing, the the fact that Hamas doesn't meet on the battlefield doesn't mean that anything Israel is doing doesn't meet international legal standards for customs of military conflict. Uh, the now to the uh, uh, I mean that the, the the UN is just anti-Israel in terms of the majority of its body. Uh, and the and the part of the press that's anti-Israel is anti-Israel, so they're going to repeat the same. Th- th- there's so many lies repeated about that, the Palestinian conflict, that you know what's another lie for the press, unfortunately. Uh, and then there's not. I mean, I, in my view, what internet Israel can do to improve its standing in the international court of public opinion is avoid creating a bunch of civilian tra- uh, tragedies and travesties. That's what you can do. Well, also that, maybe maybe not have that. I don't know why there's an IDF soldier with a Scottish accent. Talking about how, yeah, okay, we bombed, we bombed a refugee camp. Like, don't, don't do that because I, I watched that and I'm critical of everything. And I was like, yeah, I can I mean, find something to be critical in, in that it, expose. It does appear there's more of a coherent strategy in place. It looks to me like they're just going to try to expand their border. That I don't think they're going to go into all of Gaza. No, but, I think but, 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 and, I, and they may say they're going to try to get rid of Hamas. It looks to me by the fact that they're bulldozing sections they go into that their goal is to create like a, a bigger buffer. Mile, yeah. A much but, bigger border. But that's it. And that's exactly now, that's a were... more sensible strategy. Just try to do it in such a way that you minimize uh civilian, because the problem in the court of public opinion is the, what I call victim porn is what Hamas lives off of. And they clearly want Israel. They're trying to goad Israel into doing that. And that was part of why they did things as horrifically as they did and why they videotaped it and broadcast it to the world. They wanted Israel so enraged that it would overreact. And uh, it, but so far, they really, I mean, uh, they really haven't uh, too much. I mean, the, the compared to what probably some people expected, they, they've been more slow and steady. And hopefully, they don't try to reoccupy all of Gaza because I just don't see that as a practical solution. But legally, on international customs of law, I haven't seen anything that Israeli government has done during this conflict that clearly violates that ali michael contribution to winston's vet bill and of course the great content you provide us with uh five dollars you know i thought earlier when you put up that video the little bird eating the fish i thought that at the end like a gator was going to come up and eat the bird how amazing would that have been there was a gator there like a big one which i've got i got the footage on my gopro but that's coming later people oh that would have been amazing pam walker says another five dollars for winston i viva winston says ag i'm not ag main 5082 Leanne, ten dollars. Get well soon, Winston. It was. I'm now. I feel guilty. I don't. I'm, I might not post this picture ever again. I don't want people thinking this was like a, a, a grift. Roostang says a Winston vet bill donation. The it's the yeast I could do. That's that's pretty good. And then we got Ko five dollars. Ko five nine says to the Winston fund. You yeasty beast. It's disgusting. He smells terrible. I asked if it was contagious because the other dog. I'm not trying to invest in the in the vet with Slim Shagan five dollars says. Remember how the leaker of the SCOTUS didn't go to jail and nothing happened to them. Remember how President Trump's tax returns were released and nothing happened. Yep. And now they're going to go after the leaker of the what they are calling the Tranifesto or the Transfesto. They're going to. They're, they're, uh, uh, yeah, but it's uh, interesting. Crowder got it. I mean, my own take on that is still. I don't like publishing uh, any information from these mass shooters because it always encourages more mass percent. shooters. Uh, 
And but, the say, and I have a contrarian. We clearly see why the media hit it. The media hit it because they didn't want that message coming out. They want to blame mass shooting on causes they associate with the political right, but the uh, or blame it on guns. But the my view is it's not like these are insane criminal, uh, criminally insane sociopaths. You know, the it's uh, to the, to the degree that a political permission slip was given to them by various political or religious beliefs out there. That that can have some, depending on who's the one, you know, distributing that permission slip, that might have some bearing. But as a whole, I refuse to blame any mass shooting on the cause the mass shooter claimed to believe in, mm-hmm. because nine times out of ten, they didn't really believe in that cause. Well, they're, they're, they're just they're, criminally they're, insane sociopath. They're crazy. I mean, and, and uh, Al, uh, they're just Al- looking for a pretext to be evil. Absolutely. And Alehouse twenty five dollars says manifesto showed major chip on the shoulder. Re wealth never a good look. But they're they're crazy and whatever is the excuse that like, oh yeah. they they wronged me on my yeah, whether on it's my... Christianity or Islam or Judaism well, or, or, or some or, other or, religion or no or the system like they 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 screwed me on the on the division I will say, of my I assets. Don't, I don't think there's ever been a Buddhist mass shooter. Do there's there's but they've uh, lit themselves on fire before, so there's that. There are good people from all origins. We don't control who our parents are. Mandalich, I'm going to read it. The new real truth tellers are the citizens, uh, citizen journalists and freedom fighters, Viva Barnes included. Daniel Dyke, $10, says, love the show. Okay, Robert, my son was a Marine on third day Iraq war. How many is your best estimate? Iraq peeps died in that war killed by the U.S. military. Do, do we agree I on think half it's a million? up to a million deaths that are from that conflict directly or indirectly. Pasha Moyer, we've got a dog with sunglasses. Miss Dot, who loves Winston, says she feels his pain. This is her a week after her knee surgery with her recovery shirt and the goggles the vet required for x-ray vision. She's a trendsetter. That is hilarious. In a, in a non-judgmental way. Dread Robert, $5. Is Clark good, uh, a good enough lawyer that Barnes would recommend him to a friend? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's one of the top lawyers in the country. Bill Brown, who can we support to go after Libturd through the courts like they do everyone else? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have to figure out creative ways to see if there could be judicial relief or remedy for some of these circumstances. Susie C., do you still think interest rates will go down to in 12 to 18 months? Do we? Think well, I think the economy is going to go down, and I think the stock market, and I think what I said back in August was I think over the next 12 to 18 months we'll have a 20 uh, percent plus decline in both real estate and in housing and in uh, the uh, stock market. Do I? And do we, we would gold? be within uh, by meaning by the ordinary person's metric, we would be in recession, and it's it's becoming apparent where we probably already started. Do we buy gold? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of things people can do uh, that you know the the uh, you just prepare accordingly the best you can for however your circumstances suit. Rusty Gus, $5. Does Trump have a tortious interference case against the state of New York civil case? Well, Which he, he could, to... but they're all immune from everything these days. Uh, Ithaca, it's $2. I'm going to read it. Isn't the New York judge just copying the judges who tied the hands of Alex Jones? You know, we yeah, pretty much. That. Tim Good. Tim underscore Good. You talk about the end all things the judge should not be doing such in prohibiting file motions that he says cannot be mentioned. Regardless of all the legal diatribe, the bottom line is Trump has no recourse if nothing is on official record. Is this correct? If not, what is available to Trump oh. without the standard you, you, reply? You, you can supplement the record on appeal where a court has denied you the opportunity to put something in the record. But if it's on, and if it's on the transcript, you get the transcript, you can always uh, yeah. submit that later on. What are the odds RFK Jr. will run in 2028 with the blessings of the DNC? That's from Han. Uh, 
did he will never get the DNC's blessing to run for president. Hampton, that was from Hampton R. Desgal. Um, okay, we got a hundred dollar tip from Beavis Wallace. If this was a typo, please let us know, Beavis. Viva and Barnes, please explain the power, the powers of the Supreme Court. I have seen many comments from people that expect the Supreme Court to mm. disbar the judges that are going after Trump. They, they don't have that power. No, that that's that has to be done. What if the state? If this that would have to be at the state. Well, level. if the federal judges impeachment, uh, state judges uh, sometimes impeachment. Uh, there's sometimes there's power to remove a judge, but it's very limited within the judicial branch itself. Jeanette Victoria says, I spent almost three weeks in solitary confinement. My husband had no clue where I was because I was considered a threat. The only reason I got out was the fact that I was a dual citizen than a British consulate that a British consulate called. They claimed I committed a felony, but ultimately I was convicted of a minor misdemeanor. I had to plea. I was told if I did not, the feds would pay someone to lie about me. This was 16 years ago. I'm sure it is more corrupted. Jeanette Victoria, yes. unbelievable. Shaman, $5. How can I contact you guys to see if we can get one of you or both to my GOP speaker in Osage County, Oklahoma, in the spring of 2024? Oh, uh, yeah, location, that is where... It's the movie killer. The movie Killers of the Flower Moon movie happened. Come see our beautiful county, Oklahoma. The, the Oklahoma yeah, well, actually, I'll be right around there in the spring of 2024. I got a trial there. I, I screen grabbed it. I'll send so, it. Yeah, you can always just go to the contact page at Barnes Law LLP is in Peter.com. That's always the best place, the best means to reach me directly. Clifferman, $5. Is there any path forward to SCOTUS to stop the prosecution of Trump? I think we covered yeah. this one. Yeah, they're, they're, oh, just bring various motions that have a right to go up to the Supreme Court before trial. What about packing the packing the Supreme Court, Robert, or, or supplementing it? I don't know what the word is now. I mean, How, that, 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 that has to go through Congress. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Okay. How is winning an appeal in a criminal case by the appeals court ordering a new trial, not double jeopardy? That's from S. They don't consider it double jeopardy if it's a reversal of a conviction. Okay. Uh, let's see here. $5. Robert, you're right. The court of public opinion does have influence. Let me see what that link is. It goes to YouTube and it's Chicago coming to Kravis Center. No, I'm sorry. That's the ad. It's state appeals court cites me and it's on Steve Lido. Okay, cool. Uh, let Excellent. me... I just lost everything I had here. Uh, we got uh, Just the Tip says, get pretty skin. Alhouse 20, $5. Oh my God, legal precedent all based on bigotry, LOLs. Jay Hudler, $5. You can use your belt loop to bump fire a semi-automatic rifle. Do this all the time. Yep. Rue Sport, Ohio votes tomorrow on two constitutional amendments. Issue one, will allow partial birth abortion, nine-month abortions, and child sex changes without parental permission. Issue two, would allow everyone over 21 to, to cultivation, processing, sale, purchase, possession, home, grow, and use of cannabis pot with no penalty. Please vote no to both. That is from Rue Sport. SBF is a scapegoat. scapegoat the, and the real criminals skate. That's from G. Pumakis. Jeanette Victoria. I was a psych nurse for the criminally insane in the California State Hospital System. Nurses getting assaulted is the norm. And I had the crap beaten out of me by a very big man who was quite delusional. California is self-insured and they refused to settle. Claimed that I wasn't really injured. My adjuster was so corrupt that my lawyer filed criminal charges against my adjuster. And guess what? They settled. 
This is from Tonya Karras. Tonya Karras says, I watched a documentary, Everything is a Rich Man's Trick. Seen it? Thoughts? Hold I have, on. I have not. I'm screen grabbing that. Beavis, I hope these are not typos. Beavis Wallace, $100 tip says, Viva, please come to McAllen, Texas. I will show you. Ooh, hold on a second. I like this. I will show you how to shoot a rifle bump stock style without a bump stock. I learned how to do this as a kid. I grew up in a very rural farming community where my friends and I woke up before dawn to shoot rabbits for a dollar each to prevent them from running ruining alfalfa crops. Barnes is very correct. Most, quote, modern Americans do not realize how guns and gun safety are a part of our culture. The Second Amendment is part of the American cultural fingerprint. We got Judge Dredd here at the bottom. Next Chief Justice Scotus, Judge Dredd of the, do we, is that what we need? Barnes, post-collapse of the Western civilization. What is the solution to career Congress people that get extravagantly wealthy in office and never retire, says Emil, Emil Sitton. Uh, yeah, Bill, I, mean, I mean, more power to ordinary people and less power to institutions and so-called representatives. Bill Brown, $5. Courage is knowing it might hurt and doing it anyway. Stupidity is the same, and that's why life is hard. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, let me screen grab that. Okay, and then we got uh, Slim Shagan. Buddhists go on mass killing sprees in Thailand. In the southern oh, part really? of Thailand, there's radical Muslims, and they fight often. Bobby, I know you meant here, though. Okay. Interesting, yeah. Ryan PD down 11 says new show idea, Robert Barnes, Rich Barris and Robert C. Cahilly triple R not my idea, but when, but when is, what are the odds? Uh, Oh, uh, probably December, probably December. Okay. We got B Tyson, B T spyglass, $5. Why does Hunter tax fraud cases have a statute of limitations? Why didn't they change that? Uh, Kay Weldner says, how about some 4XL wanted t-shirts? Screen grab, I'm gonna make sure about that. Webster, 1994, $25. Is there any update on the big tech cases? Uh, uh, pending before, some are pending before the Supreme Court. The other tr uh, are still at the trial or, plea or discovery or pleading stage. Dapper Dave, theoretically, can James, all the corrupt judges and other prosecutors in my hand be charged for election interference? It can't happen. Yeah, by, but, by the logic of the prosecution by Jack Smith, I suppose so. The president could somehow interfere in himself and have an insurrection against himself. Then I suppose anything is possible. Zach the Cat for Winston's Fund. Thank you very much. Butch Connors. Mike Johnson fired McCarthy's national security advisor today. Brian Costello on X. Robert, what, yeah. do, you, what do you make of that? Uh, uh, according to Matt Gates and others, the uh, McCarthy was trying to stonewall certain aspects of the investigations into Biden, and that was the lawyer facilitating that process, and the new speaker removed him so that they could fully investigate that aspect. All right, and we got BT Spyglass. If Biden was repaid for non-existent loan, yeah, they still haven't provided the evidence for that. It's, it's so hard just to show us the evidence of the loan. Committee tax fraud. Hasn't he committed a crime independent of any other person? Yes, yeah, potentially. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the national shooting leak by the Crowder and the response by Boring? Oh, did you see Boring's response? Oh, yeah, Jeremy. I mean, I mean the, you know, bitter, resentful guy. Well, I mean, I'll say, like, I'll play devil's advocate just because Crowder was alluding to the fact that others in the con ink were not doing work. You know, there was everyone's pot shotting each other. It's stupid. It was good journalism. Just be proud yeah. of it. And Boring. The, he took pot shots. Be a big person and don't call him a pathological narcissist. Um, but he got a good scoop. Uh, uh, yeah. 
Uh, $5 from Denise Ann. I was using text uh, to talk and I heard NWACP when I meant NAC. Don't worry, nobody, nobody got mad at that. Do not feel guilty. We love the Widson. Okay, says Pam Walker. Uh, P. Jubakis, how about the Ben Gurion Canal as an alternative to the Suez? They can't do it with Gaza so close. And um, Rocky, Ro- Ro- Rocky Rhodes Cola sent to $100, says it's not a typo. Gentlemen, thank you for an always, always great show, even during the brief moments when I disagree. First, I will be following up on my $500 tip a couple of weeks ago in which I said that I wanted you both as advisors and or investors. I have just been crazy busy, as uh, I'm sure you both have been. Also, why don't you have Tom Woods on for a cyber? We had Tom Woods on. Oh, yeah, Uh, we did. And I've been on his uh, show a couple times. Yeah. Have a great evening. Rocky Rhodes Cola, thank you very much. And now I hear a kid screaming in the back. Professor Tom, my apartment complex tests fire hydrants from time to time. When they do it, they send out emails stating they can do it. Okay. But then they use it for apartments flood. They aren't responsible. And we have flood insurance. But if their behavior causes flooding, how are they not liable? Okay. This is, uh, that's no legal advice, people. Two questions from Dred Robert. Which president did the best job with the judicial appointments in Barnes' experience? Is there anyone in the Senate who he considers a good evaluator of judges? No. (laughs) F. Sterling, I used to live in Virginia. I paid $150 to be told that I couldn't sue my employer when I was bitten in the face by a pit bull while I was working due to workman's comp. Even since the only lawyers I pay money to are vivabarnslaw.locals.com, the following is sarcasm. The worst part was that I didn't even get a cool-looking facial scar out of it because the doctor did such a good job stitching up my face. Anyways, keep being good lawyers. Thank you very much. Does General Paxton have the power to do anything about Alex Jones' judge, says William No, it's a federal, he's a federal judge, so no. The state judge, not much, not much. Whatever happened to the old man that they arrested for shooting the illegal on his property, says Rena, Rena for real? Still, uh, Robert Gouveia is following that case. It's still, uh, it's not reached the trial stage yet. Denise Ann, is there any possibility that NAACP is disbanded due to their corruption? No chance, Robert, right? Who? NAACP disbanded for their corruption? N- oh, uh, no, no, no. There's a woman holding fish in this picture. <laughs> Hello, fishy fish. Okay, I think we've gotten to the end. I'm going to cough for a second. Oh, Viva, these are not typos. $100 as a foot doctor. I just want to know that Barnes Foot has healed and he's walking pain-free. Robert, how's that do- going? Uh, actually, I got to go back to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, uh, yeah, well, we'll see how it ends up. All right, now uh, let's, okay. What are the last topics before my wife comes in here and kills me, Robert? What, what, what ah, yeah, so we got three. Uh, first, uh, uh, briefly on the vaccine mandate cases. I'll probably have more update when I finish the briefing on the Tyson case. They have a new excuse for their various violations. Um, and we have really weird EEOC behavior in the case, in the, the Tennessee case, that is, is making that case more difficult than it should otherwise be, just the nature of the animal. The uh, but the other thing they're doing is they're in a lot of cases they're trying to force uh, privacy waivers as a condition of seeking recovery for any pain or suffering a person's uh, experience from the discrimination, uh, which I think violates certain constitutional principles. But we're going to have to litigate it. It appears because a lot of judges don't care. And the other thing judges are doing: uh, some of these judges are complicit in vaccine mandates in one way, shape, or form. Denied compassionate release to, to defendants because they didn't get vaccinated and then some of them died. You know, these, these are judges who don't want 
any consequences to people who mandated vaccines. So they're converting the sincere religious belief test into a religious inquisition. Are you a good Christian? Are you a good Muslim? Are you a good Jew? Whatever. Uh, saying that that defines sincere religious belief. Not whether the belief is religious, but whether you have been a constant, continuous practitioner of every aspect of your religion. Literally an inquisition that they're trying to engage in. Uh, and so we'll see how how those came. But that, that's the new wave of assault on people seeking remedy in that context uh, after they lost on the undue burden component before the U.S. Supreme Court in the analogous situation of Title VII. The, uh, in the, uh, the realtor context, what happens is the buyer, I'm sorry, the seller usually has to pay the buyer's real estate commission. And often the amount of that is not fully disclosed to all parties, led to a big class action against Berkshire Hathaway and others. The jury found at least almost $2 billion in damages. That's probably going to be troubled over $5 billion in damages. And that only covered a small part of the country. So it could have major ramifications for the real estate uh, uh, economy. And this may be a constant source of continuous litigation because of how they try to structure those commissions. Uh, and whether there was full disclosure and whether there was antitrust collusion and monopolistic practices that took place by the National Real Estate Agency, who by uh, the, the some of these real estate coalitions, by the way, associations uh, had tried to use COVID to try to kick people off from having a real estate license. And they've misused their power for years. So I have very little sympathy for them getting caught in the middle of this latest problem for them. Uh, that might bankrupt them ultimately, depending on how this progresses. Not Berkshire Hathaway, but it's always interesting when Berkshire Hathaway gets hit with a major verdict and, uh, you know, you never see much media coverage of it. You know, it's, it's certain Warren Buffetts and others seem to get certain favorable uh, protection from the press. The uh, In the last case, by the, the fun case of the uh, night, uh, the Morg defamation case. I don't know if you got a chance to review that. I did not, unfortunately. But I, I'm I'm deadly sorry, Robert. <laughs> but so bing, the, bada boom. Okay. Sorry. So it's people that are in the cremation business and they compete with one another. I forget. I think it's Nebraska is the state. I think it was in. And what happened is uh, a story broke of somebody getting arrested who was an employee at at, at a competitor, real uh, uh, company. And so the competitor, uh, the other com the, the person who was an employee was not arrested put out a story said oh man you know if, if you if you let your loved one go to this place look at what this guy did and the allegation was that he pretended to be a police officer broke back into the home uh where a person had been taken out that was removed from being dead uh in order to uh uh engage in various activities with a sex doll located at the facility at, at the, in the place and got caught by that the the uh, apartment manager, and so this story circulated. They claim that most of those charges were dismissed, and it was only a minor breaking and entry. It was a former employee, and so they're suing. They're saying they're telling everybody in town that our employees, you know, will, will come and bang the sex dolls at your house if your loved one dies, and this is outrageous defamation and tortious interference and so forth. But it's the the fun cases that occasionally percolate up in the system. <laughs> Yeah, uh, sorry. I didn't get around to that when I was. Um, I had a number of distractions, and I think I've got a number more. But hold on, Robert. There's a few more tips which I'll we'll get to here. Hendy, five dollars. I have a close contact in a government entity that got an email brief that said there is going to be some kind of incident on Wednesday, eleven eighth. Hmm. That's tomorrow. No, that's the day after tomorrow. I think it will happen on Tuesday, eleven nine. If this is true, then we will see Millie's Iran. Invasion plan. Oh, God. 
And then we oh got Finboy Slick for the Mullet Fund or Winston. Here is a self-owned Antifa. In with our bill friend Billboard. Chris, you'll enjoy it if you haven't seen it already. I'll open that one up. I'll leave the chat open so I can make sure I bookmark all of these. My, oh, we've got Patty F. Weber. My music is a style of folk. For any interested in my recent tunes, check out two new songs I wrote. One has a series of video clips. The other is lyrics only. One is about the worst president and the other is about the best. And it's on a rumble. And it's inner Nash of a depression. Okay, well, I'm reading the I'm reading the, the 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 thing. And then we got the Judge Dredd, which I think I meant the West needs Judge Dredd as Chief Justice at SCOTUS after civilization collapses. And that's from Bow Omega Twenty Two. The last one about the music, Patty F. Weber. And that's it. We're gonna do it. <sighs> Holy crab apples, uh, Robert. Uh, this has been amazing. Now, now I'm nervous about going to the freaking presidential debate on Wednesday. What's this? All this ominous crap. I'll bring my I'll bring my pepper spray gun, and you know the pepper spray things will break in my pocket, and I'll make myself have an allergic reaction. Everybody, thank you all for being here. Uh, I will see you. I'll be so I'll be live tomorrow. I think at the local studio. Then I'm going to be live with Clint Russell and Luke Rudkowski at six or seven o'clock, give or take. Wednesday is the debate. Thursday is going to be the vivabarnslaw.locals.com supporter um, with our, with our, because we had to postpone it because today was, we were going to do it today, but then we had to do the Monday show. So Thursday, there's going to be the locals chat and uh, that's it. Robert, uh, do, do you have a white pill, please? Real uh, quick. Uh, no, I mean, I think the fact Supreme Court took up that NRA, NRA New York case says that they'll maybe are on the path to stopping this political weaponization of everything. That's not a big enough white pill for me. So By the way, the gun owners of America, interestingly, cited all of these other examples, cited everything that's happening to Trump, everything that's happening in these other cases as why the court needs to pay attention. So hopefully they do. Okay, well, this and this is, the white pill is going to be Winston. Hello. <laughs> uh, I am your, oh gosh, don't speak, don't speak. Uh, everybody, thank you all for being here. I will see you tomorrow. Robert, stick around. We'll, we'll say our proper goodbyes. Everyone else out there, Less than 24 hours. See you again on the interwebs. Peace out, everyone.